This episode of Screen Geeks Radio is sponsored by Audible.com. Try a 14-day trial and get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash screengeeks. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 141. This is Dave. This is Barry. This is a lower middle class man who can speak to the dead. All right, Uncle Boonmy. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't quite work, but okay. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, this week should be an interesting one. Uh, we've got some mail to get to and, and some fun stuff. Uh, we're going to be talking about the last couple decades of Oscar Best Picture winners and just really if the Oscars are should be considered a benchmark of what is a great film or not. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Question. Yes. But before we get to all that, let's talk about what we watched this week. Barry, you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Um, I went back and looked at uh, Dan Aykroyd's directorial debut, Nothing But Trouble. Um, have you seen Ooh. this one? No, my uncle worked on it, though. Oh, cool. What did he do? Special effects. Nice. I'm trying yeah. to remember the special. There were some explosions at one point. Yeah, there's actually a really big explosion near the end. Um, this is one of these movies I've been defending for years, but now having looked at it for the first time in a long time, I don't think I'm ever going to defend it again. Um, you know, I... I don't know. I don't even know where to begin with this movie. This is the film that Aykroyd made. It has like this really great Twilight Zone setup where where Chevy Chase and Demi Moore, are these two yuppies, and they go on this road trip through uh, basically through Jersey, and they end up going down the wrong road. They get pulled over by John Candy, who's the local sheriff, and and uh, Chase just thinks he's in for a speeding ticket, and Candy says that's not how we do it here. I got to take you to the Justice of the Peace. Justice of the Peace lives in this crazy old hundred year old building, played by this played by Dan Aykroyd as this 100-year-old judge um, who is elderly and frightening and terrifying, and basically the sentence is death um, for anybody who gets caught in this speed trap. That's how they, they, they basically strip people um, of all their wares and possessions and, and murder them. Um, but it's also a dark comedy. It's also a musical with a m- number from Digital Underground, hence Tupac Shakur's first on-screen credit. Um, <laughs> the movie has a little too much of everything. I think that's one thing that really struck me watching it this time. Um, Aykroyd is covered just by piles and piles of makeup as this elderly judge and it's a very broad performance he actually won the the razzie award for best supporting actor worst supporting actor rather um and i think he's actually pretty good in the film the problem is that he also cast himself as this 400 pound mutant baby um so he was doing mike myers before mike myers and eddie murphy yes, before eddie murphy exactly yeah and and the mutant baby really has no place in the film or, or they don't really explain what the mutant baby is there for um likewise john candy he plays the sheriff really really well but he also plays um his own sister as a mute <laughs> i don't know like you know it's you know it's weird it's like there's a scene in the movie like i mentioned there's a musical number with digital underground it becomes like this wedding scene where chevy chase has this shotgun wedding where he has to marry john candy in most movies this would be like the worst scene of the of the movie for this film it's actually one of the better scenes um and demi moore god bless her she's like such a good sport through the whole thing chevy chase is actually very funny in the movie as I said, there's a lot of great ideas. The production design is great, and I've always admired the film just because it takes a lot of chances. It's very, very weird. The problem with Nothing But Trouble is that the ending is a disaster. It has four endings. All of them are bad. Um, the movie can never sustain a consistent tone. Parts of it are wacky. Parts of it are truly sick. Parts of it are very vulgar. Parts of it are really whimsical. Um, 
somewhere I think there is a director's cut of this movie that's really interesting but the film that was released I think unfortunately is a bit of a mess but anyway so went back to watch Nothing But Trouble two more titles um, a film I've been wanting to see for a very long time I finally did and I was really disappointed and that's Dream Child uh, Dream Child is available for a short, a short amount of time um, on Netflix and to watch I don't believe it's ever been released on DVD it was on VHS for years and I never got around to seeing it Dream Child in short is about um, not, not my Nightmare on Elm Street the Dream Child no it is not okay. though they, okay. they, they, they did the title dream child came out in 1985 it's basically about uh how the girl who was the inspiration for alice in wonderland grew up goes to i believe new york and she's flanked by the press and the media because of course she's the girl who inspired lewis carroll to write alice in wonderland and the movie flashes back to her childhood you see her flashing back and imagining the creatures from alice in wonderland and you also see her spending time with lewis carroll played by ian holm Ian Holm plays Lewis Carroll as a seriously demented man who may or may not have had pedophilic feelings. I don't know if that's even a word, pedophilic. Um, un, let's just say uncouth feelings towards Alice. And the movie basically insinuates that he may have molested her or had a sexual relationship with her or did all sorts of wrong things to her. The movie never goes out and says it, but it's clearly implying in a really dark way. What makes the film worth seeing, and it is worth seeing, is because Jim Henson's company did all the fantasy sequences. Every time Alice imagines herself back in Wonderland, you've got the March Hare, the Mad Hatter, the Dormouse, and there are all these Jim Henson creatures, and they're spectacular. They're amazing. All the fantasy sequences in this movie are visionary, and they're beautiful. All the scenes of Alice... Um, frolicking through the fields with Lewis Carroll are incredibly um, unpleasant, to say the least. Um, and the movie is really unpleasant. The characters are all very cold, including the, the, those who play Alice. Peter Gallagher's in the film, too. Um, performances are good, but the characters really left me cold. The movie really left me cold. It's very inconclusive in the way it ends. The characters are all very, very one-note. Um, and yet it's worth seeing for those fantasy sequences that are so wonderful. But the film itself, I can see why... Like it, I don't know. I can see why people don't really talk about the film because it's it is incredibly uh, it's it's um I walked away very uncomfortable. Let me just put it that way. And finally, last night I went and revisited uh, D- David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers, um, which I think is one of the great performances in cinema by Jeremy Irons. Um, I don't know if this is my favorite. No, I'm, I'm just gonna say it. this is not my favorite Cronenberg film. Um, not that it's not an excellent film. It is an excellent film. Um, but like a lot of his films, it can be very tough to watch, especially in the last hour, which is really, really grueling and really, really tough. And um, a couple years back, Entertainment Weekly put out their list of the 25 scariest movies ever made, and this was on the list. And I've never understood that. But you know what? If you've ever, if if you are a lady and you've ever been afraid of going to see the OBGYN, this movie is not going to help. Um, <laughs> But I gotta say, like even with Edward Norton in Leaves of Grass, where the special effects are far superior, or Michael Keaton's tour de force performance in Multiplicity, I still think the best twin performance I've ever seen any actor give has to be Jeremy Irons in this movie. I think he's incredible. And if nothing else, the movie is ultimately worth seeing for that. And I guess the last thing I want to say about this film, it, it kind of occurred to me like why a David Cronenberg film is such a different experience than most of cinema. Most movies, like we walk in and it's like going to a carnival. You know, you, you tear the ticket, you go on the ride, you have a good time, and you walk home and you tell everybody about the great ride you're on. Seeing a David Cronenberg movie is like walking into a doctor's office. You know, and everything is very sterile and very cold and you're very uncomfortable. 
And then somebody comes in, you know, the, the nurse comes up and she has like four nostrils and she tells you to go into the, the doctor's room and the doctor, you know, comes and sees you and does horrible things to you and you find it both repulsive and fascinating and you walk out going, you know what, that was terribly disturbing but I cannot stop thinking about that. So Cronenberg film was a very unique experience yeah. and uh, and I got to say like I love David Cronenberg's films. I really do. Even, even ones like this that are very hard to watch but if you've never seen a Cronenberg film, this is actually a pretty good starter I think. Um, because it's it's not as extreme as say the fly or, or scanners or <laughs> rabbit or like the ones that, yeah that are really really hard to watch um, but it's still it's still tough um, but uh, you know he's he's one of the geniuses working in cinema so I'm I'm privileged that I got to see the film and again sorry last thing I'll say about Dead Ringers is the the DVD I saw was very good it's not the Criterion version okay. which had the Cronenberg commentary the version I saw was released by Warner Brothers a couple of years ago and it's got the Jeremy Irons commentary which I did listen to and it's wonderful just great he really illuminates it's just his process of playing these two characters and how they're actually the same character. And and uh, there's all these good behind-the-scenes stuff about how they created the twinning effects. Anyway, good stuff. If you like the film, definitely get the DVD. Right on. Cool. Ethan, what about you, sir? Uh, I rewatched my favorite comic book movie of all time, Superman 3. Nice. <laughs> that movie's got some magic in it. I, I love that movie. Seriously. Like that scene where Richard Pryor is wearing the foam cowboy hat. That shit is classic. I like when he goes down the building on the skis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you just you named I think one of my top ten like one of the comic book movies I think I like the absolute least. Um, but it's you know what it is not a boring movie. You don't like what, when when Richard Pryor has to figure out what kryptonite's made of and he looks and oh tar, there's tar in these cigarettes and puts tar in the. <laughs> I, I think it's like genuinely one of the few like actually subversive comic book movies and that's what I like about it like the whole evil Superman thing is awesome like yeah. when he's like uh, g- getting drunk I love that so much and I think even like I think it's a good movie like when he goes to Smallville for the high school reunion like yes. I actually yeah. think the stuff with him and Lana Lang is actually pretty endearing and, tr- and interesting I agree I agree no you're totally right there are great scenes in this movie um I just don't think it's a great movie. I don't know. Like, like um, I think the thing to comment about this film, this is Richard Lester, of course. He directed most of the second movie after Richard Donner was fired. I think this was the movie that a lot of people assumed the first Superman movie was going to be. This, the, the, sec- the third film is very jokey. It's got a lot of slapstick, a lot of the wax the crotch and that kind of stuff. I mean, it opens up with this huge ballet of slapstick. Yes. Um, and, you know, like again, like this, this is something you could either praise the film for or you go, you know, this is great, but it doesn't really belong in the movie, kind of like Richard Pryor. Um, I can't stand the scene where Pryor does his impersonation of General Patton. Remember that? <laughs> like, I don't know. You know, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, seriously, Pryor is one of the geniuses. I think he's one of the great stand-up comics who ever lived, and his best movies are really terrific. I just don't think this is it. I know he was paid more than Christopher Reeve to be in this movie, and that's something to be said. Um, Robert Vaughn, you know, I mean, he's got the best chin in the business and truly one of the great villains, but I've always thought the ending was a little ridiculous. I like the Atari scene where they get, like, the Atari video game footage in there. <laughs> but when, oh, I can't remember the name, um, Ann Ross, Annie Ross from Shortcuts, when Annie Ross gets turned into a robot, do you remember that? The, the computer turns into yes. a killer robot. Um, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I don't like the term jumping the shark, but I, I will use it in this case because uh, for me, the movie, at that point, you just, what can you say about the film? It's just, it's it's never boring, but I think it's a bit of a mess. I do. I'll still take it over any, like any comic book movie made today. Really? But, 
Yeah. Just because of its subversive quality, just because it's it doesn't take itself remotely seriously. Yeah, because it's not the same boring shit all over and over again. It's not Ryan Reynolds in a CGI suit going, I love this. Well, are you talking about just like how so many of these movies are the same kind of kind of uh, formulaic origin story? Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, that's, I'm sorry. That's just, uh, I just wanted to clarify. Okay. Yeah, I, I understand. I agree. A lot of these movies are starting to become like the same movie. So. Exactly. Uh, I watched Gene Dealman, the Chantel Ackerman film for the first time. Do I need to explain this movie to you? Or are you guys familiar with it? You actually do. I, I'm not familiar with this. No. Yeah. Um, it's this film made by Chantal Ackerman. It's about this uh, housewife who she's widowed and she has one son and uh, she just goes about her daily, you know, duties of cooking and cleaning and her while her son's at school. And occasionally she turns a trick to earn some extra money. And uh, the movie uh, is consistent mostly of static shots of her cleaning, like washing dishes and and cooking and stuff. And it's over three hours long. Hmm. And uh, it's it's a pretty incredible movie. It's it's like it's so hypnotic to watch some of the shots. There's a scene where she's like making this food and she's just like smushing it in her hands. And it's like it's so hypnotic just watching her do it repeatedly. And uh, mm. the ending of the movie is pretty I wouldn't say crazy, but it's incredibly shocking. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of the most challenging movies I've ever seen, I'd say. But seek it out if you're like a true cinephile what year did it come out uh 75 wow okay okay interesting yeah uh next i watched get low the biopic of little john (laughs) (laughs) and it's good flick it's it's nothing it's nothing like spectacular but duval is great in it Bill Murray's great in it. Uh, it. The period details very well realized. Yeah. It's never. It's slow, but it's never boring. It's just. It's just a pleasant watch. I liked it a lot too. Yeah, yeah, and no, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's such a low key pleasure, and I think if you go in expecting kind of a slower film and something that's kind of no frills, I think you'll. I think you really like it. I yeah, I think I liked it for the same reasons you probably did. Uh, next, I watched Flirting with Disaster for the first time. Oh man, yeah, I've seen that. I love that movie. It's uh, it reminded, it's like Away We Go, but without the condescension and actually funny. I completely agree. Thank you. Wow. And yeah. uh, it, it surprised me. I know Josh Brolin has kind of really blown up the last few years. I'm surprised after this movie he wasn't a huge star because he's awesome in it. Yeah, there was that period where he was doing a lot of Miramax slash you know adult Disney movies like this and Mimic and – um, no, I agree. I, I, I kind of thought he would explode well before No Country for Old Men. It seems like that was the one that kind of put him back on top. And for that matter, I liked him in uh, Hollow Man too. But oh well, I guess it took the Coen brothers to kind of show people that he had a lot of range. So yeah, and as uh, David O. Russell's direction is awesome in it, and uh, the screenplay is really funny, and yeah, it's a terrific movie. Um, next, I watched two films last night that I I think I have to talk about together i watched both hereafter and beautiful okay and uh, the comparison i'll explain um uh, since barry you've seen hereafter but beautiful in it uh javier bardem plays this guy uh ball who uh he's uh i'm trying to remember uh he's 
he's basically he's living in kind of poverty. He's working on the black market and he's barely getting by. Basically, all him and his kids can eat are cereal. And uh, he's uh, he he has this power to basically he has the ability to see the dead. Really? So that's where the comparison comes with uh, hereafter. Huh. And well, beautiful is a movie I'm very on the fence with it's like the way i described it is it's like the pirates of the caribbean three of javier bardem has terminal ball cancer movies because this movie is like a summer blockbuster of late and how you know they just stuff all this shit in it like it's just like all these subplots and characters and set pieces it's like this movie stuffs as much human misery as possible Mm. just replace like uh an explosion with javier bardem crying (laughs) (laughs) like i said there's the whole thing with him like he can see the dead and it's so clumsily introduced and there's this whole subplot about like these uh gay Chinese workers and like uh, his wife is like bipolar and there's like all this there's this scene later in the movie that happens with um, I'll just say he buys the wrong heaters and the outcome is like just it's like oh come on but at the same time I think that uh, Inaritu is an extraordinarily talented director and I think he gives his visual storytelling skills are so strong in addition to Javier Bardem's performance, which is incredible. It, it, it made the film watchable for me. Like there's a, a lot of interesting visual things he does. Like the movie changes aspect ratios about two thirds in. Hmm. And uh, there's uh, this club scene. Like I think Inaritu is the best director at club scenes. Like this and the club scene in Babel are incredible. And Watching Hereafter, which is such a massive piece of shit, made me appreciate this movie even more. Just because Hereafter, all that freaking guitar score, oh God, it made me want to tear my hair out. And just how maudlin it was. It made me appreciate, while Beautiful was a very tough movie, a very relentlessly dour movie, it at least had more, as a work of cinema, it was far more interesting than Hereafter. So maybe if I hadn't watched Hereafter in the plane before, I would have been like, Beautiful, eh. But the fact that I did at least made me appreciate Beautiful somewhat. So that's my thoughts on those two films. Okay. So hereafter, don't see it. It's a massive piece of shit. Dave. I got to say, anyway. I really wasn't planning on seeing hereafter, honestly. Um, I might at some point, but. I like the film, but I can't compare it to beautiful. I'll have to see <laughs> beautiful, I guess. All right, then. So that's it for you, Ethan? Yeah. All right. So it's odd that you watched the Superman movie because I had finished a Superman movie. I saw All-Star Superman. And... Um, Everyone loves this movie, and I can't tell you why. Hmm. I, I think it's boring. It's condescending. It's pedantic. It, 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 well, those are big words. How? How? How so? Um. Oh man, it really comes down to if you love Superman or not. Yeah. And how much you love Superman. Um. Essentially, he gets. He 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 flies out to the sun to help some astronauts who are who gets who who suddenly in their space station are having problems. Turns out it's a giant plot by Lex Luthor to uh, overexpose him to the sun's radiation and kill him. So he gets overexposed, and he's essentially what happens when Superman dies. Interesting concept, but it's just there's no heart behind the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of random characters I'd never heard of who show up out of nowhere. It's him trying to make peace with everything and kind of put the world in a good place, and it just came off as very boring to me. It's too bad. Yes, yes. Um Part of it is it's Lois's birthday as well, 
and he gives he he formulates a super serum based off her DNA to give her superpowers for a day. You know, live live like I live for a day, and they go wow. flying around, and it just it came off as too hokey. That's too bad. Yeah, and this is another one of those uh, DC animated films. It is, it is, and it's you know I've I've heard from the beginning that the uh, that the film is you know that this movie is just what's one of the best DC animated movies, and it's just not to me. But however, this was a comic series first, and it was said that this is far and away better than All Star Batman and Robin was, which I can tell you just by watching the movie. Yes, the comic of Batman and Robin, Frank Miller went off the deep end, but this movie is just it's. So it, it's that that saccharine, sugary, super sweet that just kind of gets on your nerves. Mm. So yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that movie. So what are we doing now? Like 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 how? What are the odds now for this? Like Justice League was pretty great. I mean, yes, if not the best. Well, New Frontier, yeah, New Frontier, and then uh, Batman Gotham Knight. You said it was pretty bad. I haven't seen I that hated one. That movie. What else we got? They're hit and miss. Oh yeah, then they're the Wonder Woman one, which I thought was pretty good. Yes, I love the Wonder yeah. Woman one. Uh, Justice League Crisis on Two Earths was awful. I hated that movie because it was based off of Earth, the Earth 2 comic, but it wasn't, and it didn't go where it should have. I'll mm-hmm. put it that way. Um, because the Earth 2 comic said, essentially, you know, the, the, you got the, the opposite world, you know, where Lex Luthor's the good guy and the Justice League is the bad guys. So Lex brings the Justice League over to the other universe. Let's fix it all. Let's get this universe back in order. <laughs> Sounds and, a little complicated. And they can't, and, it's fin- and essentially it ends with Superman talking to the Justice League, and they come to the conclusion that in this universe, they can't help. Sorry, this universe is screwed. We're going to go back to ours. Hmm. Which is a bit of a darker but unique take on the idea. Hmm. Okay. Um, Superman Shazam wasn't bad. It's hokey, but it's fun. It was, it's kind of goofy fun. It's just called Superman Shazam? Yeah. And it has a bunch of the, the shorts, the animated shorts that they did, like Green Arrow and Jonah Hex and oh, wow. The Spirit. And this movie was just wasn't up to Bahar. Um, I'll talk about their next one in our news segment because the trailer for that came out and it looks very promising, I think. So it, it's, it's not enough for me to say, oh, screw the DC animated movies because they're hit and miss enough. There's enough hits that I'm willing to go back and check it out. Uh, Marvel, since Doctor Strange, I've hated every one of their movies. So, hmm. yeah. Well, and except for the Hulk versus Wolverine, that was kind of fun. But, yeah. So, so I, I had an opposite reaction to you, Ethan, because, oh, man, that, that just wasn't that good a movie. Um, you know, I, I just really was not a good week for movies because I watched Burke and Hare, too, by John Landis. That movie is, it, it's a bomb that never goes off. It's probably the best way I can put it. You've got all these great people in that. You've got, you know, you've got Andy Serkis, you've got Simon Pegg, you've got Ilsa Fisher, you've got Tim Curry, you've got all these great people in it, and you've got John Landis making the film. I mean, this movie should be a knock it out of the park, easy to, to you know, this should be a slam dunk. Great movie. I laughed once in the entire film. And it's not that it was bad performances necessarily, it's just like the movie never really went anywhere. It's about grave robbers? Slash serial killers, yes. Okay, I'm just wondering. Like, I wonder if this can ever be funny because uh, I, I, I want to get back to to Burke and Hare, but like, there was a movie that came out with Liv Tyler and Robert Carlyle and Johnny Miller about ten years ago called Plunkett and McLean, also about about grave robbers, and it was supposed to be like a black comedy, and it it wasn't. It was it was just black. <laughs> I don't know. Like, did did any of the dark humor work? Or did In this movie, the, the the comedy almost all falls flat. The one joke I laughed at is near the beginning when Andy Serkis tells Simon Pegg, I need you to believe in me. And Simon Pegg says, I believed in a, sh- I believed in a fart once and I shat myself. 
Which it just kind of was, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. No, I get that. Um, uh, this is weird because you know Landis has been really knocking out of the park with the masses of horror. Is it just the material yeah. doesn't work? It, or? It's got to be because this movie just it. There's supposed to be jokes and there's supposed to be funny stuff in there, I guess, but I never caught much of it. Is his is his approach to it like too heavy handed? No, the actors it's try almost too hard. Too, or? I, I, it's, that's the confounding thing of this. I want you to see this movie because it seems like okay. They made this movie and they just took all the jokes out. Hmm. So it kind of because it did get a couple good reviews, right? Like I swear, like there were a few like European reviews that like gave it. I'm sure there were. Jack warned us about this. Warned me about this personally about this movie, and because uh, Steph loves Isla Fisher, I don't even know how to pronounce. I think her it's name. Isla. Isla Fisher. I think, okay. I think it's Isla Fisher. Isla. Okay. Isla, Isla Fisher. Okay. Thank you. We've Stephanie. been corrected. Thank you. Isla Fisher. But this movie was just. It, it was a failure on every level. That's a shame, and it's really sad. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that I think that's why I loved the whole by John Joe Dante so much because it's not that it's the best movie ever, but it's one of the great filmmakers from back in the '80s that hasn't let me down. And that's one of the reasons that, and like I, I know Ethan, you've warned me about it, but like one of the reasons I'm still holding out hope for the Ward because there are a bunch of critics who have said, you know, this is not Halloween. Don't expect Halloween or the Thing or Escape from New York. But in terms of just being a down and dirty B movie from one of our most reliable down and dirty B movie movie directors, it works for what it is. It works, and I'll take that. I'll take it works, you know, over my soul to take. Yeah, I'll take that. You know, like seriously, I don't think there's anything wrong with the with a small scale treasure, a small scale. I, I don't mind that. I don't, you know, like I didn't mind when Steven Spielberg made Catch Me If You Can because for a little movie that that was, I thought it was a masterpiece. I don't mind. But, but back yeah. to what I'm just saying, like people who are hardcore John Carpenter fans saying it's like a terrible, terrible movie. Okay, well, you know, and I've heard, I've heard that too. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. On the upside, Jack said that Paul's better than this, so. Ooh, Ooh, man, that's... Oh, God. Well, he didn't take a dump all over Paul. He said that there no, were problems no, no, with it. He there didn't. Were, it was a deeply flawed movie, but... Yeah, but, I mean, deeply flawed movie, I mean, I don't think that's, you know... So we got two movies that, that are with Simon Pegg that are disappointing, which is too bad. Theoretically. I'm, I'm still holding out judgment until I see Paul, but yeah. Burke and Hare was not a great movie. I don't think it was his fault, but it just it was not a good movie. Do you think it, uh, it has a shot when it comes to the States if it ever gets released here theatrically? I doubt I could see this not even getting released in the states. It's that bad. Yeah, yeah. That's this could a be a direct to DVD type thing. That's um, a shame. Yeah, I hope it is at least because, man, we don't need that kind of bomb hitting the theaters. Um, unless it gets released like next January, then okay, knock yourself out. Uh, then I also uh, to to redeem it, I watched um, a great documentary that you mentioned about probably about a month ago. Never sleep again. The Tale of yeah. Nightmare on the Street movies. Yeah. That was the quickest four hours. <laughs> yeah, it's long, but it's thorough, isn't it? Yeah, but it flies by. I mean, a four-hour-long movie that flies by, that's something special. Because the movie's always uh, pertinent. Oh, go ahead, Ethan. I was say- No, no, you talk. Okay. Well, it sounded like you had something to say, sir. Well, I'll say it after you have something to say. Okay, all right. As a fan of not a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and someone who hasn't seen most of the films... Um, I'm intrigued to see some of them. I really want to see Nightmare on Elm Street too because it just sounds so awful. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I don't think it's like awful. like the greatest gay horror film of all time. No, it's they're gay horror movies in that, but no, I, I like Nightmare on Elm Street too. I do. But it, it's very interesting. What I like is that the fact that it does talk to pretty much every single one of the principals outside yep. of Patricia Arquette and Johnny Depp. Yep. Everyone exactly. else is pretty much involved in this in this <laughs> documentary, and it's it's thorough. It's a loving tribute back to it, but it's also pretty honest about what worked and what didn't work in those movies. Yeah. Oh, what I liked about it is how all the actors seem proud of their work, but all the directors were like, no. 
Rennie Harlan, I think, kind of came around on it. Yeah, and as he should. I mean, this movie was like his calling card. I mean, it got him the work for Die Hard 2 and uh, and, and, and uh, Ford Fairlane and Cliffhanger. All those movies were because of his work on Nightmare 4. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say that he was in that in that his interviews, he was definitely talking about how he was making the best of a bad situation because he's like, we had a script. It was the first draft at best, so we had to make it up as we went along. And yeah. Still, it, it was fascinating. So, yeah, I'm probably going to end up revisiting visiting a lot of those movies because I've only seen the first one. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the second one, is, it's got a lot of problems, but it is scary. I mean, I think that's that's good criteria for a horror movie. It is scary. The third one is more of a ride than anything, but it's... You know, it's got Dick Cavett turning into Freddy and attacking Shah Jar Gabor. I mean, you can't beat that. The fourth one's Rennie Harlan's. The fifth one's got a lot of problems, but it's interesting. Sixth one's all right, even though it's got Johnny Depp and Roseanne Barr in the same movie. And yeah. then, of course, we've seen Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh, yeah, Wes Craven's which is New Nightmare. Yep. And Freddy vs. Jason. So, yeah, Freddy I guess I have seen more and, than just one. And, you know, I, I like that the, the documentary talked about the TV show, Freddy's Nightmares, because that was, you know. That was a brutal look at that TV very, show. Yeah, it was very brutal, and I appreciate that, because. Uh, um, I'm actually house sitting right now, um, and I've been watching the Chiller station, Chiller TV, and they've got old episodes of Freddy's yeah. Nightmares on it. And you know, it's it's really well produced, but it's pretty awful in terms of writing. And uh-huh. you know, it's interesting to see all the things that Robert Englund and all of them were complaining about because you no, know, it is. I mean, it's it wants to be the Twilight Zone, but it's it's not even monsters. I mean, it's just really subpar. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, in, a, in a quest to see at least one more Oscar-nominated movie, uh, I caught Restrepo, which is on Netflix Watch Instantly. And I could easily see this movie winning for Best Documentary. I'm glad I picked it last week blind, but it is a blunt and honest look at essentially a group of American soldiers going over to a really dangerous part of Afghanistan and what they had to deal with. And it's powerful, it's moving, it's good. It, it's just a really good film. I hope Exit to the Biggest Shop still wins, but I could see this one taking it. Cool, cool. And then TV shows, two shows, um, Watch Supernatural. This week's episode, honestly, is the, one of the reasons why I love this show, because it obliterates the fourth wall at mm. times. Cool. Uh, essentially, at Heaven's at War, at a Civil War, and one of the angels wants to kill the brothers. So this other angel comes in and says, here, I'm going to help you hide. Throws them through a window, and when they let crash through the window, they land on the set of the TV show Supernatural. Interesting. So, it's yeah, and it takes such jabs at the actors, at the creator, at everybody. Wow. The show does not take itself seriously, but it is gloriously awesome because of it. That's great. So it's like the actors playing themselves and the characters? No. The, 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 the actors are gone. It's just them. Oh, wow. So they're, they're calling them, you know, he's like, suddenly your, your name's Pat Alecki? What, are you Polish all of a sudden? What the heck? You know, stuff like that. And um, they go to Jared Padalecki's house, and there's this weird coffin thing. He's like, what am I, a vampire? And he opens it up. It's a tanning bed. He's like, yes, the George Hamilton variety. And it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's just so much fun. Very cool. It's an excellent show. And then I've started watching a new show on the Cartoon Network called Young Justice, which is like the kiddie version of the Justice League. Oh, wow. And... It is not Batman the Animated Series. It is not Justice League. It is not Justice League Unlimited. It is not Batman Beyond. But it's fun. Hmm. It's okay for what it is. Are you going to keep watching it? or just um, I might. I'm, debate- I, I'm, I'm definitely going to give it you know, more time. It's, it's, they've, they've found some of their pacing and some of their problems and cut them down. Like with Robin, they had him finding some word of the week and, and being like, you know, a disaster. Well, if it's not, you know, what about just an aster? You know, and, and he tries to work it into stuff that he says throughout the episode. And you're like, dude, you need to stop this now. Mm-hmm. But they quit doing it the last couple episodes. So 
they're learning from it. I, I think it's a show that's still finding its footing. It's it's interesting. I mean, it has nothing to do with continuity because the Martian Manhunter's niece is in this show. Considering the whole point of the Martian Manhunter is he's the last Martian in the universe. Yeah. Interesting. Just saying. Yeah. But it's fun. Um, I think that's about all I watched. So shall we go ahead and move on and talk about we what came out in theaters this past weekend? Sure. Well, while you guys do that, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. I have to pee like crazy. All right, then. Just mute yourself. That's all I ask. Don't, don't, don't do a Frank Drebin. Okay. All right. Well, opening uh, in theaters this week is Nicolas Cage in Drive Angry in 3D. Um, <laughs> also being released, the new film from the Fairley Brothers, Hall Pass, with Owen Wilson, Jason Sudeikis, Jenna Fisher. Um, that's really it. I love that this movie is titled Drive Angry in 3D. Like, it's not even pretending to say that this is a good movie. Yeah, well, they've been pushing the whole angle that this was actually filmed for 3D, not converted afterwards. So, Big whoop. Well, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it, like, the, the 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 reviewers that liked it said, that, you know, as, as far as being, like, a down and dirty B grindhouse kind of film, it really does deliver. In terms of being a good movie, forget it. So, okay. And then Hall Pass, I haven't heard anything good I have about. no desire to see Hall Pass. I'm going to be really honest. Just the whole premise just does you know, jack and squat for me. So, Have you seen yeah. the trailer for Hangover 2? No. Didn't look very good either. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Um, let's go ahead and talk about what's hitting DVD then. DVDs this week, uh, not one of Dave's favorite films in 2010. <laughs> Cher, Christina Aguilera, Kristen Bell, together at last in burlesque. Yep. Um, one of my favorite Disney films of all time, Bambi. Love that film. And if you're buying Bambi, I'm just going to say it now just to get out of the way. If you go to DisneyMovieRewards.com and put in like the UPC for the DVD, you get a $10 off coupon. So you can pick it up for, I think, 13 bucks on Blu-ray from Target this week. That's terrific. Yeah. Wow. Excellent. Thank I you. like it. I'm happy with my DVD, so I won't be. Yeah. I love Bambi. Um, Danny Boyle's 127 Hours of James Franco. Great film. Check it out. Um, Anne Hathaway and Jake Gyllenhaal. Nude in Love and Other Drugs. <laughs> Uh, Dwayne Johnson and Billy Bob Thornton in Faster, yes. one of Dave's favorite films of last year. Well, what I don't know if it's one of my favorites, one but of your big guilty good. pleasures, or yeah. not even a guilty pleasure. It, it, it was just—I think it was a good, solid movie. Okay. I really think. I'm curious. I want to rent it so I can see the alternate ending that's apparently a bit more brutal. Mm. So yeah, we'll see. It's, our, it's still an R rating, right? Yeah. Wow. So even more brutal. Cool. Yes. Uh, let's see. Available on Blu-ray. Um, I think Dave and I are probably agree on this. Probably what Steve Soderbergh's best movie out of My sight. My favorite by far. Absolutely. Yeah. This is with uh, George Clooney. Definitely proving that he was more than just the star of ER. This is the one that kind of and put the him facts on the, of life. And the facts and the golden Girls. And oh. he was on Baby Talk, this this spinoff series from uh, Look Who's Talking. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. If you can imagine that. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. This is also has I think the best screen performance of Jennifer Lopez, who is just smoldering wonderful in the film. Also has uh, Cash Wilson. Yeah, yeah, Dennis Farina. Big yeah. Rames. Yes, and who's the who's the goofy guy? Steve Steve Zahn is good in yes. this movie. Yeah, great film. Check out Out of Sight. And then finally, um, by popular demand, we're going to mention Reboot. Yes. Yay. It's a fine cartoon show. It is good. Yay. And that's it for this week. All right. Um, shall we move on to news then? <laughs> let's, let's just get the bad teacher trailer out of the way. <laughs> did you guys see it? I did see it. Yeah. I did. I hated this trailer. <laughs> I like Cameron Diaz. It just, you know... When Jason Segel was on the screen, I was down. Well, you know, and I think Justin Timberlake is also very funny, but uh, I don't know. I think I need to see more than this trailer to, to be sold on the movie. I, I just don't think the F word is funny by default, you know? No, no. I, I think they were trying really hard to do Bad Santa, but, you know, in school, and poorly. 
it's a refreshing idea because I've always, especially, you know, 10 years or so ago when I was doing a lot of substitute teaching and teaching at high school, I always thought, you know, there's a story in this somewhere. You know, people don't really know, like, what teachers generally go through. It's always about the, about their, you know, about the kids. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I can't say it looks all that terrific. This is the kind of movie I think if Diaz had done, like, say, oh, what, 99, 2000, I think people would be a little more excited about. But I'm not sure if if this is, like, the best career move for her, really. Because she's actually an actress, you know. I mean, she got kind of past all that raunchy comedy crap. She, like, went beyond, like, there's something about Mary and the sweetest thing. And she did films like, you know, what, like, Gangs of New York and, and proved that she's actually a really solid actress. Like, Charlie's I wish, Angels. Yeah, well, Charlie's <laughs> Angels. I wish she would do more films, not like Charlie's Angels, but more like, like, say, In Her Shoes or, uh, you know, or even, like, I know you're not going to agree with this, Ethan, but, like, a role like Vanilla Sky where she shows that she actually does have range or, or best of all, being John Malkovich where she could just vanish into the movie um, as opposed to like this which is kind of kind of easy humor I think what do you think either I was really neither here nor there on this trailer I'll see it on cheap night there you go cheap night I showed this trailer to Steph and she said she was actually offended by it huh she's That's like probably good <laughs> yeah this is, true. this is true she's like why is Justin Timberlake wearing glasses exactly see that I'm was so it. offended by that but she like, and what was funny was Harley was, you know, she was, she was, she kind of like likes to watch whatever we're watching. Sometimes she'll like just watch TV, and she yawned and laid down. And Steph's like, see, even Harley doesn't think tits are a big deal. She's got six of them. <laughs> like, wow. Gonna set it better myself. Yeah, yeah. That movie just looks. It's the. It's such a a string thin reason for a plot for a movie. At this point, because it's a summer film, and I'm trying to think, like, what are the movies that are coming out this summer that I'm excited about? I mean, I know that's another episode, but, like, I mean, what the... I'm trying to think, like, Cowboys and Aliens, right? And yeah. What else is coming out this summer that's, like, really, like... Tree of Life! Tree of Life. Well, that goes without saying. Um, and that's May. Thankfully, that's, like, really early on, so get that out of the way. You know, I don't have to, like, wait till like, August or July for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. This this summer, just... I'm not really all that excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm especially if it's movies like like this one and the the friends with benefits with with Justin Timberlake. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, it's like too many of these stupid comedies. Like I don't know, like I like jokes. You know, I I don't think what we saw was jokes. I think it's humor, but not jokes. There is a difference. Yeah, indeed. I know. I'd st- I'd still rather see this than Thor. Hmm. Ooh, that's a nah, because it's kind of Brian. I'll see anything that guy does. Uh, you know, you brought up the summer. Let's. Uh, uh, there is a, and we were talking about DC animated movies. We've got the new Green Lantern animated film coming out called Emerald Knights, which is actually a really brilliant idea in that it's going to take the running time, but it's actually going to be six different stories based off different Green Lanterns, and it's going. They're all going to end up intersecting at the end of the film. Hmm. And the trailer looks good. Uh, Henry Rollins as Kilowog, the really badass. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa! I'm watching it. Yeah, see right there, Nathan Fillion as Green Lantern. I mean, this is like the this is the nerd dream. For the casting's everyone. great. Casting's great. I hope it's a good film. And honestly, from the trailer looks epic. It looks fun. It, it looks like everything that I'm worried Green Lantern the movie is not going to be. When's it come out? Uh, I think it's just shortly before the actual film comes out. Oh, great, great. So yeah, I'm. It looks really good, but it makes me even more worried about the actual movie. Hmm. So yeah, Ethan, what do you got, sir? Uh, pull up the website. What did I write about again? <laughs> uh, you wrote about alternate jobs for James Franco, which is a wonderful article, by the way. Yeah, that was very important. It's good stuff. Uh, you had a trailer. Crud. I mean, let me find it. That was a really good trailer, too. Uh, for Meek's Cutoff. 
Yes, I'm very excited for this film. Why don't you explain it for for those who didn't see the trailer yet? It's a Western directed by uh, the chick who did Wendy and Lucy. It also (laughs) stars Michelle Williams and Paul Dano and Canada's own Bruce Greenwood. Hey Bruce. There you go. He was our It looks JFK. pretty it looks pretty awesome. Like it's it's shot in the Academy aspect ratio, which is weird, but it looks like it works and it has even though it's rated PG, it almost has like this kind of psychological horror vibe to it. And uh I know all the reviews from it from Tiff were rave, so yeah, this is one of my most anticipated movies of the year by far. Yes. Wendy and Lucy is a wonderful film. Have you seen it, Dave? No. As a dog lover, you should probably see Wendy and Lucy. It uh, it is such a moving film, and it it never felt remotely formulaic or contrived. It felt completely and utterly real, and I think that was the movie that really made me fall in love with with Michelle Williams because, you know, prior to that film, I'm used. I, I really wasn't all that blown away by her work in Brokeback Mountain, to tell you the truth. And it's not because she wasn't good in it. It just that was not something that really stayed with me from that film. But when I think of her, I'd always think of her like you know Dawson's Creek or what was that one? She was in Halloween H2O. But then seeing her in like Wendy and Lucy, where it's like no pretension at all. And she, I mean, same thing with Blue Valentine. She just lets it all hang out, and. Uh, that film is just, I mean, in terms of like a story of someone who loves their dog, I'd put it up there with old Yeller. I'd put it up there with one of my favorites, Hachi with, with Richard Gere. I mean, Wendy and Lucy is, it's potent stuff. Well, this trailer looks incredibly good. I'm, I'm really interested to see it for certain, for all the reasons that Ethan already said far more articulately. Um, so, and, and something that will not require as much articulation would be the fact that we're getting a remake of the bodyguard. <laughs> This is interesting because, and I'll throw this out really quick. I know Costner for many years, this is back when he was, you know, one of our most bankable leading men, not quite so much, but um, there was a point where he was going to do a sequel and it was going to be with Princess Di. And this is when she was alive and she was going to, I don't know if she was going to play herself or if she was going to play like somebody else of royalty or whatever, but he was going to do The Bodyguard 2 with her. And when she died, that whole thing kind of went out the window. But I know he tried to make it, get the movie made, and, and I thought at least that would have been interesting. And, and, you know, I thought, you know, like, you can't beat that casting right there. But, of course, when she died again, that whole thing just kind of went out the window. You know, I, this is one of these things, like, not only is it not necessary, it's like we really don't need this. And there's it's kind of one of those who cares stories, you know? Yeah, that's precisely how I'd look at it. What do you think the pairing will be, though? Uh, it'll be Jason Statham and Beyonce Knowles. I was hoping yeah. for uh, Channing Tatum and Rihanna. That's probably what we're gonna get. If it's Warner Brothers, it's gonna be Jason Statham and Beyonce Knowles. If it's if it's Screen Gems, it'll be Channing Tatum and and Rihanna. Although My ultimate hope would be Nicolas Cage and Kesha. Bjork. <laughs> nice. I would want Brad Dourif. And uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, oh, Jennifer Coolidge. Okay, fine. Tom Green and Kesha. Tom Green and mm. Kesha. Well, right there, you just sold Ethan. So, <laughs> <laughs> on the off chance that he would suck and Kesha would die, see, that's why I would. No, no, no. He has to die. I, but, I, I was in a cab recently, and I was really drunk with some other friends, and that Kesha came on, and we were all just rocking out to it. Like, when you're drunk, Kesha is pretty awesome. <laughs> wow. I'll take your word for that, it. That's what should be on her next CD for, for, for the ads, you know, in the advertising campaign. When you're drunk, she's awesome. 
That's actually a good title for a Kesha song, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Like even Black Eyed Peas, when I'm like at a bar, when they come on, I'm still like, I don't care how drunk I am. I'm not dancing this piece of sh- crap. But when Kesha's on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on. Oh, my gosh. Wow. All right, then. Um, and then you have some special news about the Preacher remake. Adaptation. Oh, yeah, the adaptation. I take it back. Yes, yes. All right. Who's doing it? DJ Caruso. Mm. For one of the most hardcore, depressing, depraved, violent comics of all time, we're going to get the beef. I, I just hope there's a scene where his Xbox Live account gets uh, disconnected. I appreciate in your article you bringing up the Salton Sea because I have seen that and I, I remember it a little more than you do. I do remember a little more than just Vincent D'Onofrio's lack of a nose, but but you know I did I actually saw that <laughs> film in the theater and it it doesn't completely work, but I thought that was definitely a return to form for Val Kilmer who had kind of you know I mean prior to that he had done uh, Red Planet and Island of Doctor Moreau and his career was kind of kind of on shaky ground and he did Salton Sea and it kind of reminded me just like what an interesting edgy risk taking actor he was. There's good things. About that movie, and I think that's the last good DJ Caruso movie we've seen in ten years. There we go. And you know, I I don't know why I didn't talk about this on my stinking last week when we did the episode. Michael Paul Stevenson's next movie has been announced. The man who did the best worst movie is doing a movie called Destroy, about a well-meaning person thinking he's going around killing vampires and ridding the world of vampires and evil, but he's killing old people. Ooh. That kind of reminds me of the plot of a film that our friend is making. Yes, I know. I know. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. So. Well, he better get his movie, like, well, edited and filming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he needs to get that <laughs> thing out there really, really quick. Our our good friend uh, who's uh, works for Trauma, I'm not going to say his name, but, yeah, he made a movie that sounds just like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. no. So... We'll see how that goes, but it's it could be fun. I actually I, I like the concept. I think there actually is world for both these films, room in the world for both these films to exist. I hope so, because <laughs> yes. otherwise our friend is screwed. He's been working on his movie for like three years now. Yes, yes, indeed, yes. Um, and did you have anything else you wanted to mention in particular, Ethan? Uh... Okay, then I've got two left. Um. Uh, we're getting the King's Speech re-released, even though it's still in theaters, but in a safe for families PG-13 sanitized of F-bombs version. Well, let me just throw this out, okay? I'm not someone who is in any way, shape, or form about censorship, especially because we live in this wonderful country of ours. On the other hand, um, I don't think this movie necessarily is going to suffer without the F-words. And I think it's a... I, I actually kind of disagree. It needs the F-words? I don't think it needs the well, here, F-words. Here's the reason. Hang on. Let me just clear my throat, and I'll come back and tell you why. So much better now. All right. That scene is integral to to, to the king getting over his speech impediment, learning to confront it, and actually work past it somewhat. And to end up dubbing it over or cutting it shorter, I think does take away from the effectiveness of that scene. Okay, and because I, I I agree, you know, generally speaking, f bombs aren't important to a movie at all, but in this film, in the context, I think it was very important to the film. For me, it's like the scene in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles where Steve Martin discovers his car isn't there. You take out the f words, yes, the scene is less funny, but does it change the meaning of the film? Does it change the point of the film? Does it make the film overall less funny? No, I don't think so. What do you think, Ethan? 
Well, you know, all those 13-year-olds have been dying to see this movie. Finally, exactly. they're going to get the chance. And and I don't know why they're doing this because this film is doing fine. It's made over I believe it's made over 100 million dollars now. It's a it's a solid hit. They don't they don't need to do this. I mean, this is like when Mel Gibson made The Passion Recut. I don't know if you guys even remember no. that. Like for one week he released The Passion of the Christ in a I think a PG-13 version, and it was about a half hour shorter than the theatrical version. And nobody went. Nobody cared. It's like, okay, not only is it like it's it's a day late and a dollar short, to use a phrase my cousin likes. But, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, who wants to see this beyond its core audience? This is not a film that kids are going to go flocking to. And if they do, great. Then they should see the version that's out there. They don't need to yeah. go to a to a sanitized version. Th- this is purely a cash grab, which makes me lose a good chunk of respect. And it's a waste of money too, because they got to go back, they got to re-edit the film, they got to re you know stock the film and re you know and ship it out again. It's just it's just total it's just a total waste of time. Uh, I, I think Canada has the best rating system. Actually, Quebec has an entirely separate one, but I'll leave that out of this. But uh, basically, we have like. A, a PG-13 movie usually either gets a PG if it's a lighter PG or a PG-13 if it's like, uh, you know, like, but or like, and then we have the 14A rating, right? Which goes to harder PG-13 movies like, say, The Dark Knight or like a lighter uh, R movie, like, uh, you know, like something that would only be that because of the F-bombs, right? Then you have the 18A rating for the movies that are genuinely like violent and sexy and whatever. But the thing is, like, the Canada rating systems understands that four f bombs is will not like harm a fifteen year old's mind. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and I appreciate you bringing that up because I've that's always been something that bothered me. Like a film that I had to wait till I was old enough to watch was Rain Man. Rain Man is rated R for I think four uses of the f word, four uses, and then then there's a sex scene that's off camera. It lasts like two seconds, and it's as, it's used as a joke. And Rain Man, I mean, today would be PG thirteen on a hard day. You know, and then like, you know, something like, you know, Saw, which I consider like an NC-17 worthy film in terms of its violence. Um, no, I, I appreciate that Canada actually goes in and, and says, you know, look, there are, there are variations of this. There are exceptions to this rule. It can't be like, okay, okay, one, two, three, oh, three F words. Oh, it's two. If you get past one. That's right. Because I remember, uh, what was it? Be Cool made a joke about that. Do you remember yes. that? Nobody's seen a Be Cool, which is, you know, it's actually a very good scene. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, uh, the last thing I want to bring up is uh, Dwayne McDuffie passed away. If you're a fan of DC Animation, you know who the man is. He worked on the Justice League cartoon. He worked. On, he actually wrote All-Star Superman, so he actually passed away the day it came out. So I feel it kind of bad taking a giant dump all over it, but it just didn't affect. It didn't click with me. But he was an incredibly cool guy. He was, a, he was very important in actually bringing minority characters to the DC Universe. He created Static Shock. He created quite a few characters. He created uh, Damage Control... And just did a lot. By all accounts, he's an incredibly cool guy. And it, it just kind of sucks to see someone pass away so young. So Very sad. Yes. So uh, let's go ahead and I guess we should have a word from our sponsor before we take a break to talk about the, uh, the, the goodness of Oscars gone past. But this week, as always, brought to you by Audible.com. Uh, you can get a for- free 14-day trial. You get a free audiobook, even, whether you keep the, uh, the, the service or not. And we're hitting convention time. So a lot of geeks going to Starfest, going to, to Dragon Con, going to Comic Con, going to any of these great conventions may have a good bit of traveling ahead of you. This is a good way to get past your time. So um, it's absolutely well worth checking out. It's great quality on the audio and everything. And uh, my pick this week actually is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, read by Stephen Fry. 
you can't go wrong that way. I don't think. No argument here. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great choice. Yes, and Ethan, you said you should have a serious choice this week. My uh, pick is Cosmopolis by Don DeLillo because it was the last book I read. All right, then. Was it a good book? And it, it was good. Very cool. Right on. And did, you didn't pro- you've been doing your papers and stuff. You probably I've been a little busy, but you know what? What the heck? I'll just support last week's choice, which was Anne Rice's The Witching Hour, <laughs> read by Lindsay Krauss. You know what? It takes a while to listen to because it's a little long. It's a big book, but what the heck? If you're if uh, you've already read all of her vampire books and her Christ the Lord books, then give The Witching Hour a listen. It's a good book. It's a it's a very enticing, very atmospheric, very creepy story about uh, about a legacy of evil. Good story. Yep. The fun of all these books is you can put them on your iPod, put it on your MP3 player, play it on your computer, whatever, which usually means like I'll end up keep listening to it even after I'm out of the car. But if you want to check it out, their service is awesome. We, we wholeheartedly recommend them. Hit audibletrial.com slash screengeeks for your free 14-day trial, and we will be right back. In the world of podcasting, danger lurks around every corner. Tech nerds hand out obscure expertise. Pseudo-psychiatrists give out free advice worth every penny. Sci-fi geeks stalk the unwary, unloading useless trivia. Podcast novelists plot to take over the world and threaten to swallow your soul. It all sounds like an adventure. And if Adventure has a podcast, it must be Indiana Jim. That's me, Indiana Jim, the intrepid arch-geekologist. Join my guests and I for a podcast with blistering commentary on the world of entertainment. I'll interview authors and discuss my own writing journey. We'll talk publishing and community in the age of podcasting and social media. There'll be random sketch comedy and tangents of irreverent laugh-out-loud insanity all without breaking the clean tag, which can be a real adventure. Listen and you'll know you have chosen wisely. Go to podcast.indianagym.net today and join the adventure. Hi, this is Anne Lockhart and you're listening to Screen Geeks Radio. And we are back. This week we are talking about past Oscar winners, because the Oscars are tonight. And I know we've kind of taken a bat to the King's speech in, in, in some ways. Have we? Well, we, we, we have called it overrated, I think, in just about every way we possibly can. Well, not in the way I usually call it overrated. How'd that go, Ethan? <laughs> overrated. There it is. Oh, All right. Just um, like me. It's uncanny. Uncanny, <laughs> listeners. So we're actually, I wanted to, to go back and, and look at past Oscar winners and see, you know, just through this t- the test of time. We're only going back 20 years, so we're not going back to like the 20s or anything. <laughs> um, so 1990. Does that really feel like it should be 20 years ago? Seriously, Barry? Do you want to go back a little I, further? Though, I or? wasn't alive, so it feels like a long time ago. Oh, I guess that is a long time ago. No. So I guess we can stick there, yeah. But um, we, Junior we, high for me, man. Junior high. Yeah, 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 yeah. Slash freshman year of high school, yep. Um, so we're going to go back and talk about that. But part of this was prompted, well, not prompted. We had some preemptive emails come in, um, a, a preemptive email, which I think is actually very well spoken. And Oh, do you want to address the email now? Yeah, because it's going to come into play. <laughs> All right. Um, I've got more email to read later. Okay. But this is from, from Mark. 
I'm from John. Goodness. Why do I say Mark? It's I'm okay. just out of it. It's wow. from John? Yes, from John. It says, hey, guys, just want to make a few points. Um, number one, uh, what is your guys' problem with the King's Speech? I mean, it has a 94% fresh rating at Rotten Tomatoes and has already received numerous awards, BAFTAs, TIFF, etc. I think if you guys so strongly think so strongly that it is undeserving of an Oscar in so many categories, you should at least give reasons for your opinion, which I didn't hear you do. Did I miss an episode where you discussed the King's Speech, perhaps? Anyway, the King's Speech definitely blew me away, and I won't begrudge it any of the Oscars it wins, even if there were some other films that were more deserving. I'm writing about this before the ceremony. But I don't particularly worry about whether the films I like win Oscars or not. I don't like any films less if they fail to win Best Picture. Um, let's start right there. Okay. Um, I think we pretty well established that this, like, like for example, the cinematography was nothing special at all whatsoever. No, I think... I, well, I, I like the cinematography, and it, it wasn't necessarily good, but it was really strange, and at least kind of it separated it from something like uh, The English Patient. Really? I think The English Patient has really good cinematography. In fact, I think that's the I've best never thing about seen, it. I've never seen The English oh, Patient, okay. actually, so I'm okay. just kind of pulling that out of my that's ass. okay. I Fair do enough. that. I do that all the time. So, um, and 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 <laughs> I think we've also established we, we, our opinion. At least Barry's my my opinion. I will say my opinion. I'm not going to speak for you. I'm going to say my opinion. You can speak for me. That that Colin Firth's performance, while good, I honestly don't think any of the other actors couldn't have done the same performance. Yeah, I think his performance in A Single Man the year before was radical. I think his performance in The King's Speech was very good. Very good. Yes. Um, I, I was much more impressed with Jeffrey Rush. Um, I don't know if I would have picked Rush for that role just if I were the casting director. Uh, I think there are other actors other actors who could have played for this role and maybe as good. Um, I don't think I could say the thing about, same thing about Jeffrey Rush's performance, which I thought was just as, as, That just reminds me about Beautiful. I was thinking like the dourness of it kind of would have gone down a little if like George Lopez had played Javier Bardem's role. <laughs> You know, this is something that that's been said many years um, about the Academy Awards. I think even Woody Allen might have said this once. Just that, to consider who, like quote unquote, deserves to win the award. Just ask yourself: Could any other actor play this role? And if you were to show clips of all these actors playing the same role in the same film, um, who would be best? You know, think of it, kind of think of it that way in terms of like you know because because sometimes like for example like Roberto Benigni to kind of jump ahead, Ber- Roberto Benigni won Best Actor for um, Life for is Life Beautiful. Is Beautiful a number of years ago, and you know he's very charming in that film, he really is. But that's that's not the kind of I don't consider that to be one of the great performances in cinema. Yeah, and you look at you know could Colin Firth have have pulled off. Um, Zuckerberg in in Social Network the way the way one, Eisenberg did yes wow why am I not okay to this? well a little too uh, handsome and British yeah, I think a little for too it. old David no, no no I I see what you're getting I mean, at just, Dave just looking purely at actors' chops that's what, I, what I'm looking at for no I see what you're getting at and I, and I appreciate that and I think that's that's kind of one of the ways to think about it because I mean um, Gene Hackman was going to play Hannibal Lecter you know and 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 uh, you know Anthony Hopkins won the Oscar for that I love Gene Hackman I don't think he would have been anywhere near as good as Sir Anthony Hopkins was and I think Anthony Hopkins owns that Academy Award. Exactly. You know, and and but again, like to go back to like a year ago, like seriously, they should have given it to Colin Firth for a single man. That was amazing. He transformed in that role. I didn't. I forgot who I was watching. I never thought about you know that this is this is the same guy who played Mr. Darcy. Watching the King's Speech, I think this is a wonderful performance. Wonderful performance. Yes. But it's 
I, uh, I I walked away from the film liking it. I thought it was very charming. I thought mm-hmm. it was sweet, and I thought the ending scene was especially moving. Um, but I think this is the kind of film that almost films like a film to play. Like I think it would work great on the stage. It didn't necessarily it even need to be a movie. Yeah, and this is pretty much, I mean, seriously, this movie is pretty much the blueprint for Oscar bait. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's a good movie. Like I really, I really enjoyed it, you know, watching it with a, a crowd full of old people, and we all really liked it. <laughs> but it's like the kind of movie where it ends, and it's like just old ladies just going, what? a great story it's like it's it's the movie that is made to make old ladies go what a great story it's like it's their catnip you know well you know it's like i don't want to you know play that game and i understand what you mean but like i i don't want to be like well you know it has to be edgy and gritty and dangerous in order to win i mean i I don't think that's necessarily the case i mean the year before um, I was full on in love with uh, the young, uh, the young Victoria, which I thought mm-hmm. was a masterpiece, and you know, no one agreed with me, of course. But uh, you know, I, I think different movies strike you in different ways. I mean, I think this would to, to go along with, I believe, the same email, the whole Chariots of Fire question. Chariots yeah, of which Fire, which we will get to. We'll okay, because Chariots of Fire is a movie that won Best Picture, and over the years, people have said why, and then you know, same thing with Gandhi. Why did Gandhi win Best Picture? Um, the and, biggest thing for yeah. me when it comes to the King speech is this isn't a matter of looking at the year when Star Wars was beat up by Annie Hall. I think you you can make a legitimate argument for both films, which one's better. Sure. I'm talking about there are eight other movies in this category that I think are superior in every way. I agree completely. And that's where my qualm comes with it probably winning tonight. Yeah, and and, you know, I I think it's easy to pick on it as Oscar bait, but you know what... Um, but again, it's a like, good movie. It is absolutely it is a, a very good movie. movie. And you know, I, I think calling it overrated. I mean, I I don't mean over overrated the way I think Slumdog Millionaire was overrated. I think this is a fine film, and I think most years this would definitely you know make my top ten list. It didn't. Um, check out my review at MauiTimeWeekly.com. Uh, I certainly gave it a four star review. I think it's a fine film. Um, but I but again, I think Dave just said it. I mean, compared to everything else that's been nominated this year, I don't think this is the best of the of the bunch, especially compared to something like Black well, Swan. Oh, I'm just glad I gave the world the gift of, I have a voice. Yes, you do. <laughs> it gave you that gift. Ethan. Yes. The gift that keeps on giving. So hopefully that answers your your, your question, John. Uh, but number two, I heard an interesting, this is, I love this point. I heard an interesting point about the best costume Oscar made on a podcast called the Slate Culture Gab Fest, if I remember correctly. They point out that apparently in the fashion industry, there's always a real dissatisfaction with the fact that the award almost always goes to a period piece. When you make a period piece, you don't actually have to get every detail 100% correct. However, if you're designing contemporary costume, you must get everything perfect or the audience will notice. Yet contemporary films almost never get considered for the award. I think it's... That's a good point. It's a good point, but at the same time, it's like a lot of those contemporary clothing, I mean, you don't even need, in some cases, a costume designer. You need someone to go out and just get those items of clothing. Whereas something like, for example, like past winners like Velvet Goldmine or Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, where these are crazy costumes that had to be conceived for the film to to exist in a world that the the filmmaker had to create, as opposed to The Devil Wears Prada. I mean, where are you going to go to get those costumes? (laughs) You know? so, I mean, I understand that, and that's a, that's a very good point, because in a film, like, for example, um, I Am Love is nominated for Best Costume Design, and the costumes in that film are extraordinary, and they were designed for that film, and they are beautiful, but compared to Alice in Wonderland, a movie I didn't like anywhere near as much, but Alice in Wonderland's costumes are extraordinary compared to the simplicity of I Am Love. But again, you know, it's like, do you honor ex- honor low-key or something that's very bravado? Same thing with the acting. Do you do you honor the, the Oscar moment performances, or do you honor something that's more internal? like at Jesse Eisenberg so yeah it's all about taste 
Well, my favorite costumes in the movie the last five years is probably Blades of Glory. That wasn't nominated, <laughs> so I'm just still pissed off about that. There you go. Yeah, that's a very good point. There, wow, that's that's a unique point, sir. That's well well done. And then you were talking about Chariots of Fire. I want to bring this up just because we're not going back that far. Okay. Uh, it says, for next week's pre- episode of films that are undeserving of Oscars, can I make a preemptive strike in defense of Chariots of Fire? <laughs> which always seems to enter these conversations. It's one of my favorite films. The performances are incredibly powerful. The wait, the way they stretched out a 100-meter race to make it more interesting was very innovative, though I don't know if they borrowed the technique from another film. The story of two men overcoming religious prejudice is not original, but very moving. And the score has to be one of the most successful non-John Williams compositions ever. <laughs> when I was in school, every boy learned to play the same theme song on the piano. I'm sure a lot of SGR listeners will have, would have preferred Raiders of the Lost Ark would have won. Yes. I love Raiders, but it has plot holes big enough for one of those boulders to roll what? through. What? No. I know. I know. No. I know. But, you know, bringing up Chariots of Fire, this is a movie I think that's also partially a victim of its own success. Hmm. People talk it up, oh, it's the best movie, it's one of the greatest movies, and it's a very subdued film, I think. And so if you go in expecting your life to be changed... That's really going to set up the, the expectations incorrectly, I think. Well, I think any movie that, you know, you go in expecting that. I think Chariots of Fire, um, I mean, I think kind of like almost like Titanic, to compare it to Titanic, I think the music was so famous and the movie's legacy was so huge and lo- kind of looming over the movie that when I saw it, it, it did strike me that, yeah, it, it is kind of a low key film about, about like, you know, like you were saying, like religious differences. I think the movie has more slow motion than it needs. Because it is about a race, and I, I think about the movie, I think of guys running in slow motion on the beach. That's really what I think about. I love Ben Cross's performance. I agree with you. I think the performances are very underrated in that movie. Ben Cross, who, who I always think of as, as Barnabas Collins in the new version of Dark Shadows, I think Ben Cross is masterful in that film. Um, but uh, compared to Raiders of the Lost Ark, no, I've always felt that Raiders got screwed. What else came out that year? 1981. Let's see. Are you asking me to look? My brain is loading. Hold on. (laughs) Wow. It's old school, too. It's like get that little... uh, um, Wow. It's going in a circle. Uh, Let's see. 1981. Do you want me to pull it up? Oh, Vacation. No, that's 1983. Never mind. Go ahead. Okay. Hang on. I have to go digging for it. Uh, Wait. 81 was Caddyshack, right? No, that was 1980. No, sorry. I was very young. It's hard for me to remember all those movies that came out in 81. Um, 81. Hang on. I'm, I'm pulling it up. I'm pulling it up. Sorry. All I can think is like random summer movies. I'm trying to think of the other Best Picture nominees. I'll I'm bring sorry. up what was, what was nominated for, for Best Score we're talking about, right? Uh, or just Best Picture for, from 1981. Oh, from 1981, we had... It didn't... What? That isn't 1981. Huh? That's not 1981. Chariots of Fire? No. Because it's not up there for that. So, hang yeah. on. Because 82 was Gandhi, which beat E.T. 83 was Terms of Endearment, which beat everything else. So it's got to huh. be 80 or it 81. It is 81. Yeah. Hang on. Let me yeah. see what it – it's saying something else won. So. Maybe maybe go 82 Oscars because like 81 Oscars would be awarding the 80 movies. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. No. No? no, it was it, no, it wasn't. Is this the official? Oh yes, it did one. It did one for okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, it is. So it won. What was it nominated against? <laughs> um, it was nominated against Atlantic City, On Golden Pond, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Reds. Oh God, I like yeah, Reds. I, I like Reds. Me too. Reds is a much better picture than than Chariots of Fire. I'm sorry, but Reds is amazing, amazing film. I'm gonna go to score just to. 
but uh, on Golden Pond, my gosh, that I mean, Ethan, that's exactly what we're talking about. That is a film for old old people. Um, I am. <laughs> I'm not a fan of On Golden Pond. It was nominated um, for best score. Atlantic City is a fine movie, but it's it's not up with the, it's not even as good as Chariots of Fire. I don't think. Along with Dragon Slayer, Where's the Lost Ark, and Ragtime by Randy Newman. Randy. Oh Newman. yeah. Okay, so I love the music of Dragon Slayer. I love the, the the that was even nominated. So thank you very much for your email, John. Um, yes. That was, See, you've you clearly given us even less like ten minutes segue. of material. So this thank is the you. segue into. The films, I'm, I just went back to 1990. 1990, which Dances with Wolves was the best picture winner that year. Uh, that was 91. I'm actually going by the Oscar year. Not the oh, actual, you're going by the Oscar year? Yes. All right, all right. Yes, so. the actual Oscar year, the year before that. Um, wow, really starting off things with the bang. You know, I was saying, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a debate between one movie, and sometimes it's just outclassed by everything else. So Driving Miss Daisy won. Yeah. And not one, it also was Born on the Fourth of July, Dead Poet Society, Field of Dreams, and My Left Foot. Mm-hmm. I, I th- not do the right thing. Not do the right thing. Not even nominated for best picture, as Spike Lee has pointed out many times with the, with the, with a lot of anger in his eyes. But this is one of those movies, you know, Driving Miss. I think almost every single one of those other movies was a better movie than Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, I don't know. Except maybe Field of Dreams. That one's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Field of Dreams. I, I like all of them, honestly, for very different reasons. I mean, these are very different films. I think that's a really strong lineup right there. Um, yeah. I mean, Dead Poet Society won for Best Original Screenplay, which I think was a good good win. Field of Dreams, I don't think won anything. Uh, Born on the Fourth of July won Best Director, which is why everybody thought it was going to win Best Picture, so it was a shock when it went to Driving Miss Daisy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Jessica Tandy won for Driving Miss Daisy Best Actress, which she deserved because she's excellent in that film. Yes. It's a wonderful performance. Um, and then My Left Foot won for Best Actor. Best Actor, right, for Danny Lewis, who was terrific. Um I don't know. I like. I still like Drive Mistakes. I mean, I'll tell you the truth. You know, my favorite movie that came out that year was Batman. Nice. That's, that would have been my pick for either Batman or like the Honest Choice. If or if like you know, I was around like my snooty you know movie colleague friends. I would have said you know Woody Allen's Crimes and Misdemeanors. But Bat. But Burton's Batman was my favorite film in 1989. Uh, I'm trying to think. I the only thing I can think of is Mystery Train came out that year. It did very good, and that would have been a good choice. But you know that if if the Academy had the rule it does now with ten nominees, I think that's the only chance that Mystery Train would have had. Can you believe that Jim Jarmusch has never been up for for Best Picture? None of his movies. Wow. <sighs> yeah, that sucks. Because even David Lynch has been nominated. He's been up for Blue Velvet. He's been up for uh, Mulholland Drive. Hasn't he been up for Elephant Man? Yes, you're right. Thank you, Elephant Man too. Um, and then you know, my uh, Wild at Heart was up for Best Supporting Actress. But yeah, beyond that, like Lynch has been screwed too. But like you know, yeah, we'll just give him an honorary Oscar. Like so, when he's so you're willing to say all of them are equally on par with each other for that for that for that group oh gosh i mean if i had to choose one i mean like you know uh i mean i think born of the fourth of july should have won i don't think i would have been unhappy if dead poet society won i think daniel d lewis's performance and brenda fricker's performance is the best thing about my left foot i don't think the movie was best picture um i still like driving miss daisy i'm you know okay okay sorry wait no, that, that <laughs> okay, was okay, be, kind, okay, be yeah. kind rewind my bad um, so we won to then, which is was won by Dances with Wolves. Also nominated uh, Awakenings, which is an incredible film. Yes. Goodfellas, which is also an incredible mm-hmm. film. Um, Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> and, Silence from Dave's end. Okay, we know how you feel about Ghost. And and then there is... Um, the Controversial Godfather Part 3. Yeah, yeah, that's where... Wow. Yeah. yeah. And that's that would have been my pick. Really? Yeah. Uh, I love Godfather Part 3. Oh, man. I do. Wow. Uh, over Goodfellas. 
Over Definitely Goodfellas. over Goodfellas, yes. All right, oh, then. my God. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those times. I, Awakenings was an incredible film. It is. Um, yeah. I don't know if I would have picked it. I actually am kind of okay with Dances with Wolves winning that one. Hmm. Really? Out of all those? I, uh, you know. Why don't you like Ghost, Dave? It was the most popular <laughs> film of its year next to Home Alone. Po- uh, popular yeah, Home Alone too. should have won. There you go. <laughs> exactly. See, Home Alone was up for best original. No, no, best score. The the John Williams' score and the song. Um, um, oh, somewhere in my memory. Uh, somewhere in my memory. The song that he, Kevin hears as he's walking home, and wow. he sees that family in the window, and it's that beautiful moment. Yeah, I actually, you know, honestly, I probably would. Was, take away was Joe Pesci nominated? He was. He was. He was nominated, and he won for Goodfellas. But I think should have been the, two two wins. I agree. I think I think in their hearts, the Academy were, were thinking about his performance in Home Alone. I really do think that. There you go. Yeah, I, I probably would have picked Awakenings honestly, just because it That's is a, a powerful pick. film. Yeah. Oh, it's a wonderful film. I mean, the best thing that Penny Marshall ever did. That's a great yeah. film. But I'm not uh, overtly upset. Go ahead. Close Close Up came out that year, but I guess that wouldn't have. Was that nominated for foreign language film? Check. Oh, you're gonna make me work for it. Just go, just go to Close Up's IMDb page and say if it says nominated for Oscar. Oh, wow. Hang on. Hang on. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, best performance film you were saying? Yeah. Best foreign yeah. language film. Okay. Best makeup. What the heck is stupid? Dick Tracy won an Academy Award that year for best song as uh, delivered by Madonna. Uh, that I always year get my man. Were was Reisader Hoffnung. Uh, Cerno de Bergerac, Judo, The Nasty Girl, and Open Doors. Hmm. Hmm. I liked uh, Depardieu's Cerno a lot, actually. It's a good film. All right, then. All right, All right moving on. Moving on. Godfather 3 got screwed. Right. 1992. Uh, one by Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Which was a bit of a surprise for a genre film to, to yeah. win. Yeah. And then nominated also were Beauty and the Beast, Bugsy, JFK, and The Prince of Tides. Yeah, for me, JFK was the best picture of the year, but I wanted Beauty and the Beast to win it too. Yeah, I would have been fine with any of those three winning, honestly. But no, I I, I think JFK is a far superior movie to The Sounds of the Lambs, and I think JFK, uh, excuse me, I think Beauty and the Beast is too. Hmm. Okay, I think they're all different films. Uh, Enough that they're different films. Yeah, no question. What were you gonna say? T two got screwed. I it won a bunch of Academy Awards. It won for visual effects, I think, all the sound awards, and I think it won one other thing. But yeah, T2, T2 won a couple Oscars. Dun, 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 dun. There you go. Um, wow, next up is 93, which I don't have a dog in this fight at all. Uh, that would have been won by Unforgiven and then also nominated by for uh, The Crying Game, A Few Good Men, Howard's End, and Scent of a Woman. My favorite films of that year were Malcolm X and The Player, but uh, I would have been happy for The Crying Game to win. And A Few Good Men. I love A Few Good Men. Unforgiven, I I think is that was the that they made the right choice that year. Really? You don't like Unforgiven? Uh, next, you the guy with the biggest boner for Eastwood doesn't like his best movie. <laughs> that's not his best movie. No way. That is not his best movie. It's no Invictus, that's for sure. It's no A Perfect World. I mean, he's done a lot better movies since then. I think. I, I like it, you know, Unforgiven a lot. I think it's a four star movie, but I, I didn't think it was the best film of that year compared to compared to Allman's The Player. No. All right, then. All right. Well, let's just... We're just going to cruise through these things, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> coming up, 1994. We have got one by Schindler's List. 
Uh, nominees, I was, I didn't, I totally forgot that the Fugitive had been nominated for Best Picture, yeah. which uh, rightfully so, I think. Yeah. Uh, in the name of the Father, the piano, and the remains of the day. In the name of the Father was my runner-up. I've, I've never been the biggest fan of the piano, um, to tell you the truth. But uh, yeah, I, um, I agree with Shemo's list winning Best Picture. Yeah, I for, me, for me, it was the Best Picture of the year. What about Age of Innocence? Great choice. I love the Age of Innocence. That's an excellent film. And M. Butterfly would have been my other choice for that year. I loved M. M. Butterfly. All right, then. Uh, let's, wow, we're yes, cr- cranking through. Oh. Yeah, this is a tough one. Most people disagree with this one completely. <laughs> 1995, Forrest yeah. Gump. Yep. Forrest. He beat Pulp Fiction. He beat The Shawshank Redemption. He beat Quiz Show. And Four Weddings and a Funeral. And four win- well, who cares about Four Weddings and a Funeral? I know, but, but Forrest... <laughs> In Gump, what? He beat, yeah, he beat the uh, Shawshank Redemption. And you have to understand, the Shawshank Redemption was a flop when it was in theaters. Like, it was a total bomb. It didn't catch on until, like, TNT started showing it all the time. But Shawshank, like, it, you know, now it's it's up there with The Godfather and, and Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's considered one of the great American movies, but, like, nobody saw it when it was in theaters. I would pick Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and Shawshank Redemption all over Forrest Gump in a heartbeat. Yeah, that's a tough one because I think I saw Forrest Gump three times in the theater, and I still I think I love the film. I love Robert Zemeckis' film. I think it's a charming film. But I just watched Pulp Fiction again recently, and like this movie from the first moment, it feels like a classic. Yeah, it feels like I'm watching The Graduate or or Casablanca. You know, it really does have that kind of feel. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I yep. Ed Wood. Yes, Ed Wood. Thank you. And uh, Chunk and Chunking Express would be my two choices. Ed Wood was my pick for Best Picture of the Year. Thank you for bringing up Ed Wood. I loved Ed was Wood. Chunking Ex- was Chunking Express nominated for foreign language film? Check that, Dave. I don't think it was. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. Uh, Burnt by the sun, before the rain. Eat, drink, man, woman. For Nelly and Strawberry and Chocolate, so movies no one has heard of. I've seen those. Ferdinelli is the one about the castrato. That's the one about the opera singer who has his testicles removed so he can be a better singer. I've seen that one. And uh, Eat, Eat, Drink, Man, Love, Woman. That's the one. um, It's from Ang Lee. Yeah, it's Ang Lee. Yeah, I've seen that one. That's a good one. That's the one about the father dies and the daughters have to take over his restaurant. It's a beautiful film. Okay, those are good. But I think Bird by the Sun won because it's a war film. Yeah. Yeah. They always win. Yeah. All right. Up for ne- ne- next to 1996, won by Braveheart. Yeah. Uh, also, <sighs> also nominated that year. Let's see. It was yes, Sense of Sensibility, Apollo 13, uh-huh. Babe. Uh-huh. And what was the other one? It wasn't American. Oh. Um, I can't. What was it? El Postino. El Postino. I saw that too. That was such a. Yeah, The Postman. The yeah. original The Postman. Um, yeah. I, you know what? Well, well, I, 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 I liked Braveheart. That was my that was my favorite of the of the nominees. The one that did not win or not even get nominated that I wanted to win was Nixon, um, and Heat for that matter. I thought Heat also should have had a Heat got robbed. Heat got seriously screwed. Didn't get nominated. Uh, anything. I'd say uh, Dead Man, Leaving Las Vegas, and Fallen Angels were the three best pictures of that year. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting choice. Yeah. Dead Man is like, it's just not one of my favorite Jarmish movies. Beautiful film, though. Beautiful. Um, Leaving Las Vegas, I love Cage's performance, and for that matter, Elizabeth Shue's performance. I don't like the movie. Um, what was the other one? <laughs> Fallen Angels, the Wong Kar Wai film, but I guess that wouldn't even have a shot. Yeah. This is, yeah, you know, that's a shame. Like, this is before, like, you know, before, like, Ang Lee films were nominated for Best Picture. You know, this is like before. 
you know, it's like there are more films than just like French films and American movies that can be nominated. You know, it's like, like now I think it's it's more of a it, everybody has a dog in the race now. You know, not only because of the ten nominations, but I think enough time has gone by that like movies that are Chinese, like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, will be up for Best Picture. So. Yep. Yep. All right, moving on to 1997. Um, Ethan's favorite movie of all time, The English Patient. One best. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, wow, beat out Fargo, beat Jerry Fargo. Maguire, Secrets and Lies and Shine. Of the nominees, I wanted Jerry Maguire to win. I think it's. I, I love Jerry Maguire. I hate that movie. Why do you hate Jerry Maguire? I I love Jerry Maguire. Thank Sorry, you. Dave. It just annoys me. Why I think does it be, annoy you? It, it it just it doesn't feel real at all. I don't know why. It hmm. just it it just caught me from the get go. Is why do people like this movie? Like a, a Cuba. Cuba's it's good it's in heartwarming. It, but, Okay, it's just it it's comfort food. It's just it's just nice to watch the whole movie. Oh, and I'm gonna come around at the, no. But he does. He does. He goes no. on a journey. I, I didn't buy it though. Okay. I didn't buy it. Okay. So when they played a Springsteen song at the end, I oh, a tear <laughs> rolls also, down one cheek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fargo, I think was well. Yeah. Fargo, yeah. Fargo. Everybody thought Fargo got screwed that year. I mean, my you know, I shouldn't even be saying this, but my my favorite film of that year was Evita. I thought that was the best picture of 1996. All right. Um, but, and it won for best song, which, you know, so clearly the Academy didn't agree with me on that one. So Yeah, yeah. Wait, Secrets and Lies was nominated, right? It was, yes. That was the one year uh, Mike Lee got some serious love and then never again. I think, oh, wait, wait, wait. Topsy Turvy, I think, was up for best yeah. costume or something. Yeah, anyway. Anyhow, moving on to 1998. Oh, this is this is when I get angry. <sighs> what, because because yes. the, the boat movie won? Because the boat movie beat L.A. Confidential. Yes. That still makes me angry. Yes, Titanic beat out, as good as it gets, the Full Monty, Good Will Hunting, and L.A. Confidential. I mean, listen, I mean, like, Full Monty, yes, who cares about Full Monty? But, but it's like, a fun movie. It is a fun movie, but, like, Good Will Hunting. Good Will Hunting is a much better film than Titanic. I haven't seen Titanic yet. You and uh, Marty have something to talk about. You, Marty hasn't seen it either. He refuses to see Titanic. Uh, uh, Ice Storm. Where is that? Yeah, Ice Storm should have been up that year. Alien Resurrection. Where is it? Never had a oh, chance. Yeah. But oh well. <laughs> Thought I'd mention it. Alien Ripley making out with that half man, half alien. Heck yeah, Hot. man. There it is. Wow. Okay. I thought you'd be people would be more upset about the next year, being that um yeah Shakespeare yeah. in Love beat the Thin Red Line. Oh. Yeah. Thin Red Line Saving yeah. Private Ryan. Okay, life is beautiful, whatever. But in Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth is a great film. I Elizabeth like life is beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but I do too. It's a good film. But Elizabeth, wow, Thin Red Line, Shakespeare in Love, really? Everybody thought Saving Private Ryan was going to sweep it, and then and then the Miramax machine jumped in and stole it with Shakespeare in Love. Um, and if, and then for that matter, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow won Best Actress for Shakespeare in Love, which I still don't completely understand. I mean, I know it's a popularity contest, and she was very popular. Um, and she's a great actress for that matter, but I don't think her performance in Shakespeare in Love is gargantuanly great. So, um, yep. 98. Well, what else came out that year, though? Uh, the X-Files movie, The Spanish Prisoner. Uh, wait, wait, ru- wait. Rushmore <laughs> and Happiness came out that year. Yes, they Those did. would be my two yes, picks. Rushmore, I mean, everybody thought Bill Murray was going to get Best Supporting Actor, at least yeah. nominated for that, and he didn't. He got screwed. But yeah. Yeah, no, I, the thin red line. I mean, and this is another one of those movies, like, I mean, it's it's kind of like talking about Shawshank. That film was a flop when it was in theaters. Nobody got it. The fact that it was even nominated for Best Picture was something of a miracle, but it didn't win anything, anything. Um, I think it's one of the greatest movies ever made in Shakespeare and Love One. Yep. All right, then. <laughs> Happiness. Yep, there you go. Uh, on to the, the new millennium. This is interesting. Yeah, this is an interesting year. This is a very interesting year. Yeah. Uh, 
American Beauty bought out, beat out the Cider House Rules, the Green Mile, the Insider, and the Sixth Sense. I thought the Sixth Sense. I mean, for me, like I would only say Titanic deserved to win because like that was the movie of its year. People would not stop talking about Titanic. Titanic took over America the way Star Wars took over America. And in that same, you know, that same train of thought, I would say, okay, the Sixth Sense was the film of 1999. The Sixth Sense and the Matrix, for that matter. I think um, the Insider's kind of become a forgotten classic. Because I, I think it's the best it. of those five. Absolutely, it's very underrated. Yeah, no question. Yeah, I think it's an outstanding film. I'm, I'm kind of surprised it never really picked up. I'm amazed that, I mean, again, it, it says so much about popularity, but like, you know, Kevin Spacey, I believe, yeah, he beat uh, Russell Crowe for Best Actor for The Insider. And that, yeah. that surprises me, to be honest. And part of it is that's the first movie I ever noticed running thirds being used in framing a shot. That That's the entire film of The, Insider, of the Insider was shot in thirds. Which was, I thought, brilliant. I'm like, this is amazing. It's my, just a great film in general. Yeah, and, and I, I'll throw it out for, for anybody who cares. But like my, my, my pick for Best Picture of the Year was, was Eyes Wide Shut, which was nominated for anything. Not a dang thing. But And I'm heck? not saying American Beauty is a bad movie. No, and I'm not saying that either. I think it's a great comedy. I know it was one of Josh's favorite movies. In fact, I think it was Josh's favorite movie. Um, yeah, I like it a lot. But you know, I I like it like I like the King speech. I think it's a really great comedy. I, you know, and I liked it and I had a good time watching it. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, do you think the Sixth Sense? No, I'm okay with it either way. You know, yeah. this is actually a pretty solid group. I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's see here. Two thousand one. Oh, this is the year I got pissed off. <laughs> I do believe. Uh, Gladiator won, not because Maximus, of that. Maximus. Yeah, uh, beat out Chocolat, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Aaron Brockovich, and Traffic. Yeah, for me, Traffic was was the strongest of the nominees, um, mm-hmm. though I like Crouching Tiger a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about In the, in the Mood for Love, Yee Yee? Were those two? Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, my, my favorite film of that year was Sofia Coppola's The Virgin Suicides. I love that film, and I was amazed it wasn't up for anything. I was outraged that Ellen Burstyn didn't even get nominated for A Queen for a Dream. She was. She was nominated, but she lost to Julia Roberts. She lost Hang to the on, skinny, bro. pretty thing <sighs> push-up bra. Oh, that's right. Okay, Best Actress. I yeah, I she lost. Supporting she was, for some reason. No, she was nominated, but she <sighs> lost. Yeah, that was... I I yelled at my TV. Oh, yeah. 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 No, I was, I was furious because... Uh, you know, again, it's the question, could have anybody have played that performance better? The real Aaron Brockovich looks so much, looks and sounds so much like Jamie Lee Curtis. Have they cast her? She might have won or at least been nominated. But like Ellen Burstyn, that is one of the most, that's one of the bravest performances by an American actress in an American movie I think I've ever seen and got screwed. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on to 2002. <laughs> Beautiful Mind beat out Gosford Park. In the Bedroom, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and Moulin Rouge. I think In the Bedroom was my favorite of the nominees that year. Um, my favorite film of the year wasn't nominated for anything, and that was Steven Spielberg's AI, Artificial Intelligence, which I thought was the best film of the year. Um, but out of the nominees, um, In the Bedroom was my pick. I love that film. I don't think I heard, so I'd say Mulholland Drive was easily the best picture of the year. It's a great film. It's a great film. There you go. Yeah, I have no real dog in this fight because I like Moulin Rouge, but just not that much. Yeah. Um, the next year is where we're going to get angry again. Is it? Hang on, let me pull it up again. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, uh, yep. Here you go. The winner of that year was Chicago. 
freaking um, hate that. You know movie. what was nominated for Best Picture that year, Dave? Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, that and, was the one. And my favorite movie of the year, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love, which I thought should have been up for a ton of awards, and of course it wasn't up for anything. Yeah, it'd be uh, Gangs of New York, The Hours, Two Towers, and The Pianist. Better than The Hours, I'll say that. I will say that most movies are better than the hours. Though. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I, I like the Lord of the Rings movies, and, and the, I will the say this, one was my this is the one that should have won. I think. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm much more than Return of the King. But Catch Me If You Can not being nominated was criminal, and that's me yeah. saying that about a Spielberg movie, showing that I don't hate Spielberg all over. You do not hate Spielberg, no. And I think I agree. I think I think that's that is uh, his masterpiece of the last ten years, and got screwed. I'm just lo- I'm looking over movies that came out, and it's like. Uh, yeah, uh, you two, Mama Tembien, talk to her. Far from heaven. Lots of interesting movies that year. A lot of interesting movies, and I think Julianne Moore was up for Far from Heaven. I think was she for Best Actress? I'm sorry. Oh, I understand. <laughs> Making you work. I understand. Not cool. Gosh. Um. Yes, she was. Yeah. And who won that year? 2002. Uh, Nicole Kidman for The Hours. Oh God, Kidman's done such better work. <laughs> she did a movie. Uh, what was it? The year before, called The Others. I thought that's oh. probably her best performance. Yeah. She's stunning in that film, but yeah, The Hours. She puts on a fake yeah. nose and Best Actress. Just like if you stutter, you win Best Actor. Oh, oh there we go. Oh. I'm saying that preemptively. <laughs> if someone else wins, I will be happy to eat those words. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, and then uh, 2004, we've got the, the Return of the King winning its uh, token win, I guess, yeah. in, in recognition of everything it did. Right, right. Uh, beating out Lost in Translation, which I think is a far better movie, uh, yeah. Master and Commanders, Mystic River, and Seabiscuit. <laughs> Seabiscuit, huh? Really? Lost in Translation was my pick for Best Picture of the Year, and I think it also should have won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Even, you know, The, the Last Samurai was a good movie. It was, yeah. I mean, uh, I like The yeah. Last Samurai, yeah. yeah. My, I think my favorite film that year was Elephant. Oh, God. I got to disagree with you completely. I like Jerry <laughs> way better. I think Jerry is a masterpiece. Have you seen Jerry? Yep, it's good. But you, but you liked Elephant better, really? Well, I think uh, well, I think Last Days is the best of that trilogy, but hmm. I like all three. Still got to go with Jerry, but yeah, Last Last Days was interesting. Michael Pitt was Kurt Cobain. Anyway, <laughs> all right then. Uh, Two thousand five, Million Dollar Baby. He's at the Aviator, Finding Neverland, Ray, and Sideways. Um, I actually liked Finding Neverland a lot. It's a good <laughs> film. Yeah, I think I like the Aviator better though, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, finally, Neverland was very good. My two favorite films that year were Collateral and Tropical Malady. Collateral was amazing. My pick for best picture of that year was uh, Eternal Sunshine on the Spotless Mind. Yeah, that one's criminal. Um, <laughs> Kate Winslet w- lost for best actress that year. She won for The Reader, but uh, she lost for Eternal Sunshine. I thought that was a real mistake because I think her character and that was a real original creation, not only on the part of the screenwriter but on, on her as a performance. Yeah, but yeah, that movie got screwed too. Yeah, yeah. Surprise, surprise. Oh, let's see where we have. The next year, I get happy because my pick for best picture actually won that year. Crash. That was, that was your pick. And actually, huh? yeah. I actually, I was. Oh, one my, of those. oh my! I know, God. I know, I know. I voted for Crash. Drop the I call on this podcast. I know. I'm making Ethan all angry. Uh, yeah, it beat up Brokeback Mountain, Capote, uh, Good Night and Good Luck, which would have been my pick, mm. and Munich. Which yeah, okay. I would have voted for Munich. <laughs> <laughs> if it if it didn't go to my movie, if it did go to my movie, no, no, no. If it, if it didn't go to Crash, I would have given it to Munich or Good Night or Good Luck. Because you're right, that is an excellent film. Yeah, but it's black and white. So That's the fact right. that it even got nominated is a bit of a miracle. <laughs> 
I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yes. Cache or Death of Mr. Lazaresco or Last Days would have been my pick for best film of that year. Well, but. you know what? I got to throw this out too. You know what? It was not nominated. The New World. Woody Allen's Matchpoint, um, Anon Tucker's Shop Girl. Love that movie. No one else saw it. Um, there were a few others that year. It was a good year for movies. It really was. Um, Batman Begins. I'm sorry, but I would have yeah. nominated that oh, for absolutely. Best Picture. That movie kicked absolutely. ass. Um, yeah, there were a lot. Of, I think 2005 was a terrific film, a uh, year for film, rather. But, uh, yeah, I went for Crash. I still love Crash, but, uh, I mean, I, I, I think retroactively, I think The New World is the best film of that year. There you go. And like, I'm just checking one thing here. Where is the daggum thing? Um, just making sure that I was... Yep, okay, just making sure. All right, up next is 2007, which essentially pretty much completely missed the boat as far as I was You think concerned. so? Oh, absolutely. Let's talk about it. I've got The Departed. Mm-hmm. Which one that year? Yeah. Uh, beat Up <laughs> Babel, Letters from Jima, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen. Wow. Let's see. Yeah, I think most Nelson, of those nominees. <laughs> Devil Wears Prada was a good movie. Well, I mean, my pick, um, I thought the best picture that year was a Scanner Dark thing. No one agrees with me, but I thought the Prestige should have been up for best picture. Prestige should have been up. Uh, let's see what else should have been up. There, there, uh, Children of Men. A lot of people would say yes. Children of Men. I would agree, been but nominated. yeah, I, the, I think United '93 was the best picture of the year. Ooh. Man, I'm actually going to go studio on you. I liked uh, Oliver Stone's World Trade Center better than that. No, oh, my God. Why do I do this show every week? <laughs> because deep down you know I'm right. Oh. Hey, uh, no love for the fountain. I'm just saying. For best visual effects, best cin- score. cinematography, best score. Hugh Jackman was amazing in it, I think. Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I would have, you know, because I like I the prestige, I would have given it to him for, yeah. for the prestige. Wait, in that movie, did he wear a bald cap or did he actually shave? He actually shaved. He did shave? Yeah. Okay, I was going to say best makeup if it was a bald cap. <laughs> that's right, that's <laughs> the kind of thing. Uh, uh. But yeah, I mean, that's what, five, six movies we come up with off the top of our head that pretty much beat anything else that was on that list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Departed's great, but, you know, I, I don't think it's... I got so much crap. Movie. I still get crap to this day for telling people that they should go see Little Miss Sunshine. Hmm. Yeah. I'm and retroactively, yeah, retroactively, I, I don't know why I loved it so much, but I wish I could go. That's okay. Yeah, if you made, if if you it made you laugh, you liked it at the time. I mean, like 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 I'm saying, like I think, I mean, I loved Crash, but like next to the New World, no way. Yeah. I show the New World every year in my Hollywood history film class. I never show Crash. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, up next, 2008, No Country Old Men for Old Men One. Beat Out Atonement. I know that was your favorite Ugh, movie that year. Atonement. I hate that film so much. <laughs> uh, beat Out Juno, Michael Clayton. And, and I don't know if I should ask you to break the voice back out for uh, There Will Be Blood, <laughs> Sir. Oh, God. I don't take requests. Ethan doesn't take requests. There you go. Okay. End of story. Um, Just give me the bloody lie. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Because I drink your milkshake, yeah. Right. Brings all the boys to the yard. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank um, you. I appreciate it. No that. Country for Old Men. Not my favorite Coen Brothers movie. I'm glad they finally won an Academy Award, yeah. considering they were never nominated for Miller's Crossing or Barton Fink or my favorite Hudsucker. I mean, I'm glad they won, but I, that wasn't my... F- Gosh, I'm trying to think what I, what I loved that year, 2007. Across the universe, right? Uh, no. <laughs> not that one. Uh, I'd say, let's see, four months, three weeks, and two days. Uh, I'm not there. 
Zodiac. Zodiac. Be the- That's oh, it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Ethan. Yeah, that uh, was Assassination my- of Jesse James as well. Yes. Oh, my God. I love that film. My number two pick for best of the yeah, year. Yeah, but Zodiac got robbed blind. Because that, yes, that's, that's the, the, the example of don't release your movie too early in the year. Yeah. Well, you know, that worked for Sounds of the Lambs. It works for some movies, but it just it didn't. You know, I think people were so underwhelmed by Zodiac because they wanted to be seven. And, oh, it's too long. and It's not scary. You know. There you go. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. We're just about done, folks. I promise. Uh, 2009. Got Slumdog Millionaire, your pick for the year, I know, Barry. Totally. Uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost, Nixon, Milk, and The Reader. Gosh. The Love like, for the Wrestler. I hate saying that I was going to vote for Benjamin Button that year because it makes me sound like such a, such a sentimental sap, but I, I but that was my pick for Best Picture out of all those nominated. Yeah. No Love for Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I mean, my favorite uh, film that year was Public Enemies, but that movie didn't have a chance no, in heck. No. So. Frost, Nixon was a good movie. Yes, it was very good. Yeah, the last uh, great better see. performances was, than a movie, with, but yes, was with a Christmas uh, Christmas Tale uh, and Synecdoche, New York, were probably my and Paranoid Park were my three favorite films that year. I love Synecdoche. Yeah, that's a terrific film. Did, was like Christmas it? Tale nominated for foreign film? Check check that, Dave. Was it? Uh, no, because it played at the Denver Film Festival. It was Departures, the Bader Meinhof <sighs> Complex, The Class, Revanche, and Waltz the, with Bashir. Didn't the did the Class win? Departures one, ah, uh, not Waltz with Bashir. Yeah, that Man. was my pick that year, and I was so wrong. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was going to win too. Wally, wow, just saying. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, All right. Last year, last year, the first year where the Academy Award instilled ten nominees instead of uh, a mere yes, five. And the Hurt Locker beat out a Serious Man in Education, Avatar, District Nine, Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> Precious shocker, The Blind Side shocker, up and up in the air. Hmm. So yeah, two of those movies. Well, at least two of those movies. No business being on that list. I, I, you know, the Hurt Locker wasn't my favorite movie that last year, but I was okay with it winning. Yeah, I was too. I, I mean, I think Up was a much better film. Oh yeah. I think we're kind of done with this topic, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. To, I'm just, you know, Inglorious Bastards was my pick by far. I try to think what what would have happened if this stupid top ten nominee list didn't exist because I, I I'd like to think that Inglorious Bastards would have been on that list. I'd like to think that The Blind Side in a Perfect World never would have been nominated. Well, well just take the precious. five best director nominees, and those are probably the five best picture. Yeah, and that's what Ebert right. said last year. I remember when he came. He's up He's probably right because wasn't Jason? Yeah, because Jason Reitman for uh, for Up in the Air, and then of course James Cameron, um, and then Lee Daniels for Precious. Than yeah. the Hurt Locker and Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, yeah, because I I think Inglorious Bastards. I mean, just from being around the you know the 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 circle of like film colleagues and stuff that I'm around, it's just it seems like that's going to be another Fight Club. That's going to be another one of those movies that people are going to dissect and discover and talk about like for decades and decades. Yes. So okay, I guess that's about uh, that brings us up to this year. We'll see what happens tonight. I'm curious to see what happens. Gaspar Noe is going to rack up. Oh, yeah. I would love it if he even showed up. I mean, they, they need to let him in the door, give him a seat, you know. My gosh. I mean, you make a work of art, and they're like, nope, sorry. You're no Sandra Bullock. <laughs> All right, then. Wow, that was special. All right, well, shall we move on to, to what's actually coming out this week? That's going to be Oscar-nominated down the 
well. Oh man. Well, Maybe probably not. the number one movie in America next week. That's, I'm I'm guessing that Rango is going to be number one next week. Uh, the reviews have been good. It looks really funny. It's really unique and and not just another. It's not a cute CGI animated movie. That's what I like. I mean, these yeah. animals are really ugly and and kind of weird. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Johnny Depp is Rango. So we'll see. Um, let's see. Oh, Take Me Home Tonight. That's the new comedy with Topher Grace and Anna Faris. It looks completely completely disposable, but you know. Could be surprised. Um, Beastly, this thing has been held over and pushed back so many times. I mean, Beastly, I think it was supposed to come out, I think, after the second Twilight? Because it's supposed to be like Twilight for girls. You know, it's it's Vanessa Hudgens. She falls in love with a supernatural creature. Yeah. And then uh, a film I can't talk about. it. I've seen it. I can't talk about it. But a film that was supposed to come out last July, and now it's opening up this week, and that is... What? Oh, no. Oh, no. Why am I not ready? (laughs) Why am I not ready? Oh my I'm sorry. gosh! I was letting you go first. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm. Uh, Let me start over again. So the film that was supposed to open last July. It's a sci-fi thriller um, uh, with the star of the Born Identity. Oh, for Matt Damon and Emily Blunt, the star of the Devil Wears Prada. Very good. Yeah. It's called yeah. the Adjustment Bureau. It's based on a Philip K. Dick short story. Um, Oh, yep. I like this film. What the heck? I liked it, America. I liked it. And that's all I can say. Fair enough. All right. And then we've got some limited release stuff. Yes, we do. Uncle Boon May, who can remember his past lives, the Best Picture winner at the Cannes Film Festival last year, uh, finally getting a U.S. release. Um, yes. I saw, I f- Whoa. I finally saw the trailer to that. I am very intrigued. For what? For, For Uncle Boon May. Yeah. I've never seen the trailer before. I yeah. thought it looked really, really cool. Um, I saw the devil. Dave is crazy about this one. This is the I can't new wait to see it. vengeance film. Vengeance. So it's yeah. is this? Uh, I'm sorry. Is it Korean? Or? Yeah, it is Korean. Very cool. And then um, a film I like a lot. I saw this at the last year's Maui Film Festival. Um, Happy, thank you, more please with Malin Ackerman and Josh Ratner. Very good film. Good stuff. Sweet. And then what's coming out on DVD? DVD. We've got The Walking Dead season one. Woo-hoo. So, yes. That only comes out. Um, from the director of Crash, Paul Haggis, is The Next Three Days with Russell Crowe and Liam Neeson. Um, Inside Job, but for Best Documentary. Um, Inside Job, in fact, a few, direct, a few uh, film, uh, film critics said it was Best Picture of the Year. Morning Glory, I think Dave and I probably agree, one of last year's most underrated films. Yes. Rachel it's McAdams fun. should have been up for Best Actress. Love Rachel it's McAdams. It's a good date movie, for sure. Very good date movie, also with Harrison Ford and Diane Keaton. Uh, what else we got? Oh boy, how can I forget? One of Dave's the, favorite the films best of last date movie year. Of the year. Let's let's be honest, Dave loves this film. Uh Jackass 3D, but though is it going to be in 3D? If you buy the Blu-ray combo, the DVD mm-hmm. version is going to have the anal, anaglyph red and blue glasses, oh, but they're not okay. doing a proper Blu-ray 3D. They're not actually doing like the high-tech Nope, Blu-ray is going to be 2D. Oh, for Pete's sake. The the last Avatar in like like Blu-ray DV, uh, 3D, but not this. Because they have standards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did they really? I don't know. And, and, and a side note: Did you guys see uh, Last Avatar swept the Razzies? Yes. Yeah. I, I, it's in my Netflix queue. I'm actually going to watch it. <laughs> there is justice in this world. Um, I was on the fence about this one. Four Lions. This is a very, very dark uh, British comedy about uh, about four wacky terrorists who tried to to well to to have a terrorist hit. Um, I have you seen this yet, Ethan? I have. What'd you think? I left. I had a hard time with it, um, and I, I, which isn't to say I didn't like the film or didn't admire it. I but for, for me, it's like it, the humor was so edgy; it made me uncomfortable. Um, and maybe that just says more about much more about me than it does about the movie. I think it's a good film, but uh, 
I, I had a really tough time with this movie. All right. Okay. All right. Sorry. <laughs> <sighs> Miyazaki's Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Yes. Valley coming out. We're still finally getting more of Miyazaki on Blu-ray. That's very yeah, thing. that's always a good thing. Uh John Borman's Excalibur with Helen Mirren. Yes. Considered a classic. I'm not the biggest fan. Are you no, a fan? No, yeah, not at all. Yeah, not really. Uh, <laughs> and then Exit Through the Gift Shop, available on Blu-ray. Woohoo. I don't know that I need to own it on Blu-ray, but I'm happy with the DVD, but still. I try to save Blu-ray for the ones that are like, oh, this movie's going to be visually incredible. I think they're, I think the the raggedness of Exit Through the Gift Shop is one of the, you know, one of the attributes of the film. I don't yeah. think it needs that to. That reminds me, I nearly bought Uncle Buck on Blu-ray today, and then I was like, <laughs> eh, maybe not. I saw that at Walmart yesterday. It's 10 bucks, but it's completely bare bones. Yeah. Completely. What? Yeah, and I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Uncle Buck, but yeah, again, why why would you want super resolution for Uncle Buck? You want to see those pancakes in the highest resolution humanly possible. <laughs> I like it when um, oh when Laurie Metcalf whacks him with the door. No, 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 Amy Madigan when she whacks him with the door and he goes flying through the air in slow motion. Yes, that's a great shot. That is goodness. Yes, got one email to read off. Um, this is from Michael. It says heard on the show you're watching and enjoying Eureka, which I am. As a fan of the show, this is kind of a public service announcement from him. Uh, let me say the first three seasons are good, but get ready for the rug to be pulled out under, from under you in season four and avoid the spoilers. So thank you, Michael. I'm, this is a heck of a good show. We've started the third season, and it is just, it's it's a good, fun show, especially from the sci-fi network or the, or the Siffy Syphilis network now. Um, the fact that they put out a show this quality that's not, you know, Mansquito really is a bit of a surprise and, and a very pleasant one at that. So, so are you are you now disheartened to know that you're like a season away from the whole thing, like going to the crapper? I don't know about the crapper, but the rug gets pulled out. So I don't know that could be good or bad. Hmm. That's true. That's true. He did say the rug gets pulled out, which just could mean like it, it's a real shocking twist or a, exactly. Or a really, you know, a character he says avoid the spoilers. Or... It's worth it. So oh, okay, well, that's good. That's good. Yes, I'm hopeful. So I'm it's hopeful not like lost where you're going to get really lost really quick. No, 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 no. If you want to shoot us an email, you. By all means, do you can email us at podcast Dave, Barry, or Ethan, all at screengeeks.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 719-358-2675. I have no idea what we're talking about this week because I've been busy with stuff, but we'll figure something out. It'll be fun. How about we talk about the films of Matt Damon? Wow. He's worked with I'd be, everybody. I'd be down. He's I'm, worked with everybody. He's worked with Eastwood. He's worked with Spielberg. He's worked with Coppola. You want to see if Scorsese. I can break the button, aren't you? Yeah. Don't you? I, I say we try to like have an episode where we like break the record of how many times Dave uses the Matt. I, I think like over, I think you should use it so many times that after a while it accidentally starts to say Ben Affleck. That's what I think. Okay. So next week it's going to be the films the, of. The films Matt of. Matt Damon. Yes. Let's do it. Oh, let's do it. Okay. The Matt Damon episode. I'm, I'm, I love the dude. I'm down. Okay, we'll do, do it. it. We'll t- wow. We'll start with Hereafter, by the way, one of his great films. <laughs> we got to talk about we'll talk about it next week cuz I like the film. I agree, it's not perfect. It's very modeling. You're right. And it's got some real problems, but I do like the film. But I, I want to talk to you about it. I do. All right. Well, so we'll tackle that next week. Wow, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um yeah. All right. Until then, this is Dave. This is Barry. This is Barry Worth's future son. <laughs> It's time to put the ice pack back in my pants.